You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carl Stebbings and Matt Smith. Well, hello and good morning and welcome to episode 102 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and this week I'm in Matt's conservatory studio I again. I know, two weeks in a row. Two weeks what in a, a row. What a real treat for you all, honestly. Yeah, which, which means you've, you've made breakfast for me. Yes, yes, um, that is. Uh, twice. Yes, yes. Bacon um, rolls, bacon rolls. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's my turn next week. Yeah, it's absolutely. my turn. Absolutely, yes. Now we should just explain the reason why we're here in the conservatory studio again is because Matt has to be at work by 10 to, yes. 10 to 12 at the very latest. He's, he's got some very uh, important coach driving duties. Right, yes, uh, absolutely. This weekend, yeah. so. Absolutely. So, yes, we are here then for episode 102 of the show, and uh, when we've got the chat room is, is, well, is, is hopefully filling up. I know Mila's in the chat room, so good morning to you, Mila. I uh, hope everything's okay with you across, uh, across the, little, the little pond as such there. <laughs> it's good. It's raining here in the UK, it is, yes. as per usual. Yeah. No, and, nothing unusual uh, there. Nothing unusual there. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's been a very new, busy news week. Uh, we've got loads of news stories to, uh, to get through, but... This week we do have a, uh, a well a special guest host. We certainly do. Yes, uh, on the show, and uh, he's someone who features quite a lot on uh, on APG with feedback, Ooh. and, uh, and he's, us and us. Yeah. Oh yes, he's been he's been he's, he's been one of our uh, feedback contributors on uh, on our show as well. And uh, he's uh, he's a, he's fully PPL'd up. He is, and he's also going for his ATPL as well. So welcome onto the show, Matty Fab. Good morning. How are we all? Hello. We are all right. Thank we you for joining right. us this morning. <laughs> no, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Oh, I'm, I'm guessing the weather your end of the country is slightly um, the same as ours, I would imagine. Grey and unpleasant. Uh, grey and unpleasant. Yeah, yeah, as I look out the window, it's, it's grey. I think grey is oh. the best colour to describe it. Definitely. And, and can we just point out, Matty, what's that, what's that T-shirt you've got on there, Matty? It's a nice blue T-shirt. For, for the benefit uh, of the, uh, special, the viewers. Just a nice, uh, oh. You see that? Oh, Fly dear, Acme see. Airlines. <laughs> oh, You've got who, who Acme is? I don't know. I don't know. Airline pilot. Oh, I, don't I, I just have, I just have <laughs> I just have Looney Tunes going around in my head. I don't know what. <laughs> oh, oh dear, dear. very dark. Well, I'm glad. expecting the advertising check from Captain Jeff. I've done oh, the job for him. Oh, oh, well done. Yeah, well yeah, done. Yeah. APG. As always, we'll be seeing those guys in July at at. Farnborough. At Farnborough, yes. That's, yes. that's the plan. Will you stop, <laughs> you stop correcting them. It's not oh. nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've, they've done very well, actually, in the last few weeks. Those they shows have. I've been listening to. They, they are, uh, especially Miami Rick and, yeah. and, and, uh, and, and also Dr. Steph as well, they're, out, they're getting their pronunciations very well. Oh, right. Well, what is, I have to say, it makes me laugh, is, is that uh, in that little me- our 100th message that they sent us, and they were there, you know, it was all <laughs> yeah. jokes about Farnborough and things like that. But uh, Even oh. Captain Nick's pronouncing it right. Well, I should hope so. <laughs> I should hope so. He's a UK I person. I know. I know. Absolutely. Oh right. So we're going to uh, we're going to get the show yes. moving. Oh, we've yes. got the the chat rooms filling up nicely now. Good. Tony, yes. Good morning to you, Tony. Morning, Tony. Uh, he's just popped in there, and uh, we're going to start the show then, as we do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So, if you're ready, man. I say some Let's go. Yes. So, kicking off this week's first news story on the Stornaway Gazette. 
Stornoway. The what? <laughs> Stornoway Gazette. Where do you find these stories? I don't know. <laughs> the headline, Logan Air unveils first aircraft upgrade. So, uh, Flybe franchise partner Logan Air uh, this week introduced the first of 13 aircraft to be completely transformed as part of the airline's 3.5 million renewal program Ooh. for its Saab 340 fleet. Named the Spirit of Orkney, uh, in acknowledgement of the links between Logan Air and one of the many island communities it has served de- uh, during the last 54 years, the aircraft's interior and exterior have been completely overhauled at a cost of almost £270,000. Blimey, that's uh, expensive. Cheap. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have two. The interior <laughs> of the Saab 340 has been completely stripped out and renewed to provide and enhance comfort. Improvements uh, to the aircraft include the installation of new lightweight ergonomically designed and modern seating to provide uh, improved legroom. Uh, all interior panels have been recovered to help reduce vibration. Ah. Uh, the latest technology and soundproofing has been fitted uh, between the interior panels and the aircraft structure to, be, to improve uh, aircraft acoustics. Oh. And new LED lighting to enhance mm. cabin ambiance. Yeah, I'm, see, I have, I have mixed feelings about LED lighting. Oh, yeah, I think this looks good. The yeah, new, the no, new seven, the new uh, uh, Boeing interiors, the Sky. I think the um, I forget what they call them now. Matty Fair, what's the what's it? The Sky interiors, um, as they call it. Yeah, the Sky interiors. Sky, yeah, yeah they're yeah. really nice. They're kind of I, calming. The issue for me actually is 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 that I don't like the harsh white of the LED lighting. So, like, whenever I buy LED lighting for my home, I always get that warm white thing. I don't, I don't mind that because it looks more like a natural. But they have the ability bowl. to change the colours with the Boeing. They have like sort of. Violets and purple right. and blues yeah. and yeah, no, and stuff. no, that's it's that's really great. Nice. It was just more that you know when they put the lights on, you know, when you would just want flashy white white light, and it's <clears> this like very intense sort of bright light. I mean, some of the new coaches that I've excuse me, sorry, some of the new coaches that I've seen that have been out on the road, for example, and they've got this internal LED lighting, and it's just so harsh and clinical. <laughs> I d- no, I just like a nice, I like this sort of light like we've got in the studio here, where yeah. it's that warm yeah. sort of, you know, it costs 15,000 times more money to run it, but, it, you know, it is yeah. at least very, very nice. <laughs> this is good for Logan Air, and obviously they're um, they're, they're not uh, they're not getting rid of the Saab 340s, no. they've uh, given them a, a refresh and so mm. on. the picture there, you can see Yeah, like, absolutely, um, just, just scroll that down a little bit and I'll bring some, that up. So some lovely yeah. seats there, um, yeah, it, it, it always, is. it always, it always. I've, I've only ever been on one short haul little hopper aircraft like yeah. this. Most of the stuff I've been on is bigger, but it's always uh, weird to see uh, uh, an aircraft with two, two and in an aisle, then one seat. This is the thing that worries me, though. As I say, looking at this picture here, is how narrow that seat is. That's the only thing that it, really it worries me. It looks narrow, but it I does c- look really narrow, especially for what I should, a man of more fuller figure. Um, <laughs> it, it's just like it, I, I don't know. It makes me a bit. The nervous. seats look do look nice, though. I must admit, mm. the seats do look um, a, a bit more comfortable than uh, the standard yeah no I'm not, I'm, I'm not decrying that they, yeah but uh, it's just mm, yeah, mm, mm. have you uh, <laughs> have you been on the 340 matty i've not no i've never been on a turbo prop plane believe it or not no oh wow no nor me neither no. we need when to, we went to uh, me Disneyland me. last yeah. year i paid more money to book with flyby to go on one of their um turbo prop planes and then when the ticket come through they'd, they'd rebooked with air france so ended up we're on an a320 which is oh, that's unfortunate but, I paid extra seventy quid to go on the uh, dash eight, but hey. Well, you know. Oh well. All part of the fun. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to the next story. Yes, Matt. indeed. Yes, the next story, and as usual, story number two is always a Ryanair story. Yay. I can't imagine why that would be. And this is 
on the Daily Mail website, dailymail.co.uk. And uh, the headline is, Pictured before being kicked off their flight, British stag party who forced plane to land because of their drunken antics face a £20,000 fine. So we'll just go into the details of this story. There's some, I, I'm not going to bother with the pictures, actually, because I don't think they really add anything to what we're, we're doing. So uh, it, it is... Um, here we go. Sorry. Posing for the camera shortly before boarding the plane. This is the British stag party whose drunken antics and alleged punch-up at 30,000 feet caused a Ryanair flight to make an unscheduled landing. Building company director Joshua Mariner, 26, was the groom-to-be whose 12-man group forced the diversion of a London to... Is it Bratz, Bratzifla? Brat, Bratislava. 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 Bratislava flight after reportedly becoming unruly and aggressive. Um, two members of the bachelor party are said to have exchanged slaps and punches after swearing and shouting at each other across the aisle from of the Boeing 737. Six of the men were hauled off the plane when... And it made an unscheduled stop in Berlin after some of the group allegedly grew irate at the decision by cabin crew to refuse to serve them more alcohol. Oh dear. There's that alcohol story again, isn't it? Uh, German police initially said that Mr. Mariner from Southampton was one of those arrested, but his 29-year-old brother Sam, who was not on the flight, claimed that this was not the case. A couple of them let, uh, a couple of them let him down, uh, but he can't control their behaviour, he said. He's not particularly happy about this, I don't think. I, it should not have happened on a plane <coughs> and not on a flight with families on board, which I couldn't, I couldn't agree more, really. Mr Mariner, who, was due to, who is due to wed fiancé Abby Whitmore in March, is understood to have been allowed to continue his journey to, Slovakian, to the Slovakian capital in, with some of the group. The stag party members arrested now face fines of up to £20,000 each. It's also claimed that one of the men strips naked in front of 170 passengers. <laughs> That's always nice. Uh, Mr. Mariner, who describes himself as uh, a partition and ceiling specialist. What's one of those? <laughs> Uh, and director of his own building company uh, on his LinkedIn page has a one-year-old daughter with Miss Whitmore, 29. The detainees, aged between 25 and 28, could now uh, face a fine of nearly £20,000 each under the Aviation Security Act. Alexander Collar, 46, from Margate, Kent, was on the flight and branded the group a disgrace, but also criticised the airline and German authorities for their handling of the situation. The Austrian tour lecturer told the Mail Online... Passengers were a disgrace, by the way. Um, well, just, they just were. Uh, not only uh, drunken, obnoxious people on the flight, by, but they weren't the only drunken and obnoxious people by any means. And that's interesting. So it's uh, perhaps it's just one of those things where it all just kicked off. The fact so. that the, they were allowed on board at all after making a huge nuisance of themselves in the departure hall at Luton and being so drunk uh, that some were struggling to stand was an even bigger disgrace. So these, the, it wasn't a full flight because um, the the aircraft that um, that Ryanair use, the yeah. Dash 800, they've got them configured for 189 right. passengers. So yeah. they had a few seats spare. Right. But still, it's, I mean, we cover these stories every now and again. Mm. They pop up where people yeah. are being a bit um, disruptive on flights, and it's always alcohol-based yeah. pretty much all the time. Yeah. Um, and people just don't learn. They just no. don't seem to learn. No. And and these fines need to be imposed, you know, a hundred percent. You know, because then you can, you're going to think, oh, blimey, I better not do that again. No. Well, this is it. Pounds. Well, and that that is a lot of money, as you say. I mean, your average wedding costs you between ele- what eleven yeah. and yeah, fifteen thousand exactly. pounds. So that's, that's more the, than the actual wedding. Yeah. yeah. What, what do you think about these sorts of stories, Emma? 
people never seem to learn, do they? It's ridiculous, really. I mean, I know Jet 2's taking a good stance on it, sort of banning people for lifetime off their plays, which I agree with. Because yeah. it, not only is it, um, you know, not only is it disruptive to people that's on there. It's like if I go on a holiday with my two little boys, I don't want to be, you know, watching drunken men walking around naked and slapping each other. It's, it's you know, it's not fair. But all, it, as well, it's it's dangerous because. You know, if it gets out of hand, the cabin crew's got to tell the captain. It takes yeah. the captain's sort of yeah. eyes off, off flying the plane and, and distracts them from the job they should be doing. And, you know, we all know, you know, it, it's, it's a hard job up there as, as it is without having to deal with plonkers in the back that can't handle the beer. I mean, the only thing I would say is, is that the pilot, you can't get at the pilots. So I guess oh, you no. could argue, I mean, whilst it's desperately unpleasant for everyone else in the Especially cabin. Especially the cabin crew, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, in the mm. cabin crew. And obviously that's, that's inexcusable in its own right. I, I, I mean, I would argue that the overall safety of the flight is not necessarily, uh, you know, in question. Because, cause they, well, short of absolutely smacking seven, seven bells out of the door, they're not going to mm. get in there, are they? You know, I, I, I suppose it's not like they're going to disrupt the actual flight. They're, it is a horrible experience for everyone on board. I'm not. I'm not advocating that what they did was okay they, but they, they need to have aircraft now with with holding cells on board i think you know <laughs> i just <laughs> right yeah. stick them down with a yeah. freight down below that's yeah, it. what, what that's is it, it what yeah. is it uh, uh ships had they had the brig oh the brig yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. put them in the brig <laughs> shove them in the brig that's yeah, yeah that'd be a good one yeah definitely so matty fab the next story is all yours okay this is from travelweekly.co.uk and the headline is Lockheed Martin receives $20 million <coughs> excuse me, from NASA for a new Concorde. So, hopefully, this is a good story. Yeah. NASA has provided $20 million to aeronautics firm Lockheed Martin develop, to develop plans for the first supersonic commercial airline since retirement of Concorde. The experimental aircraft is one of a series called X-Planes that NASA plans to develop. The research is concentrated on ensuring that the new aircraft's sonic boom, which is the noise generated when the sound barrier is broken, Ooh. is less intense than on previous high-speed aircraft. Oh. <laughs> yeah, shame. <laughs> the intensity of Concorde's sonic boom led to it being banned from flying faster than sound over the US, which, which substantially limited its potential destinations. NASA Administrator Charles Bolden unveiled the preliminary design phase of the quiet supersonic Quest uh, technology, which they named Quest, in Washington. He linked Quest with the agency's legacy of high-speed research, starting with the rocket-powered Bell X-1 that first broke the sound barrier in 1947. He said, we're now continuing with the supersonic X-plane legacy with his preliminary design award for quieter supersonic jet with an aim towards passenger flight. Rob Weiss, general manager of Lockheed Skunk Works, which works on experimental projects, said the company had been working with NASA for more than a decade on the technology needed for a new generation of commercial supersonic aircraft. British Airways and Air France retired Concorde in 2003 after nearly 30 years because of prohibitive operating costs. Read yourself into that. Um, but the aircraft flew at a maximum of twice the speed of sound, making a London to New York journey in about three and a half hours. A 10-year New Aviation Horizons initiative by NASA has the ambitious goals of reducing fuel use, emissions and noise through innovations in aircraft design that departs from the conventional tube and wing shaped aircraft. Mm -hmm. The X-Planes will typically be about half scale of a production aircraft. The design and build will take several years, with aircraft starting test flights around 2020, depending on funding. So, yeah, it's funding, but I, I mean, we, 
We, we took a ma- I think personally, in my view, we took a massive leap back when they we uh, did when they got rid of Con- when they yeah. uh, you know when yeah. they took Concord off service. Well, and the, ge- um, the general feel in the chat room, I think, is along with you. We, you know, I mean, a we should never have lost you know the ability to fly Concord if you, if you like, and also um, I, I kind of agree. I think I think I, th- I think we should have kept the old one. Hmm. I mean, I know there were you know sort of minor issues, but or at least they should have. I, I don't understand why it was taken out of service when there wasn't an, an alternative. Do you know what I mean? It's a shame, but you know because. I th- it, 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 they said it was all all down to cost. Yeah, I think it's kind of what the government and, and yeah, the airlines said. I but I, that, I but see the cost was was quite you know intense mm. with Concorde, but I do believe that they should have kept the Concorde on because I still I still think there would be a huge market for people wishing to travel on Concorde. Yeah, absolutely, if just because um, of the sheer iconic you know nature of it and i'm amazed you know it's a bit it's the same thing about the vulcan isn't it i mean it's a real shame that that was taken out of service i mean i i, I understand why they've done it but mm. it's still a real real shame would you believe it it was it was um november 2003 that um, the concord was retired really mm, but i'm amazed they didn't again for you know for just for air shows and stuff like that i'm amazed one wasn't kept in the air do you know what i mean just uh, just as a matter of interest <coughs> excuse me mm. did uh, do you know, in 1977... Uh-oh, here we go. Brace yourself, right. listeners. Because uh, it was introduced... <laughs> Concorde was introduced into service in uh, 1976, a yes. fantastic year. A, gr- a great year, a fabulous year. Um, but do you know what the uh, the unit cost price was of a Concorde in 1977? £100 billion. Pounds. Matty Fab? <laughs> One pound. Um, pff, you're a little bit out. It, it, would, uh, it would have set you back £23 million. Right. Actually, that's, that's to, not to buy right. a Concorde really in 1977. Much, no, yeah. it's not that much at all, is it? So, next story, no, moving on. Sailways bought their Concords oh. £1 each from the government. Really? Mm-hmm. Goodness me. I'm surprised the government didn't put 20 point something percent <laughs> tax on them. <laughs> yeah. The government told them, yeah, because yeah. we developed them with France, um, yeah. mm. the governments, it was that expensive to buy that basically they, they paid well, they paid a pound to buy the British Airways to put them in service otherwise because nobody else bought them apart from Air France and, and British Airways. Gosh, yeah. yeah and just on a side note, have you heard the Omega Tau podcast where they interview the uh, Concorde pilot? Yeah, I listened to that episode. Yeah, I did. Wow. It's yeah, a while it was, back now, but it's really good. Yeah, it was a while back, but if you mm. listen to that, yeah. He, yeah. that pilot there has got his own sort of Theories as to why Concord was withdrawn. It wasn't mm. due to costs. Good show. Oh, really se- good, that is, Matt. Seriously, Matt, you're going to need to get in your little light aircraft. You're going to need to come to Beckles. You're going to need to come and sit in this seat, and I shall go and hide around the corner and do the cameras, I think. Cause, uh, <laughs> I, I am completely lost over most oh. of this conversation between you two. Oh. <laughs> this is marvellous. This is, this is actually what an aviation show should be like. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, you know the listeners love you. <laughs> no. <laughs> Everyone loves Matt. I just, can't, I just, my job is to get it on the air. That's that's the, the, that's, the chat room's going to go mad now. It, well, they all, they all love just, Matt. Just, just, just to get it on the air. That, that's uh, my technical abilities. That, <sighs> that's the only reason I'm here. See, look, everyone loves Matt. Oh, yeah. sure. Anyway, right. So the next story <coughs> on the independent side. Yes. Uh, one that I found uh, last night. When I was looking through mm-hmm. the news feeds. Yeah. Headline. Just bring that picture up. I love oh, here we that go. Picture. That is an amazing. picture. Yes, I know. Go. That was me. That was me no, a few weeks me. ago. That's a picture of me. That was me a few weeks ago. There we go. Let's do that we'll press the right button there, there we, we go, go. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. just bear in mind sorry guys yes if you are listening on the old podcast don't forget you can watch the show it's www.youtube.com forward slash plain talking uk and if you're able to watch it when we put it out live it's a plain talking it's www.youtube.com forward slash plain talking uk forward slash live 
So the picture there, um, Matt just threw there, was uh, 747400 Virgin. Uh, the headline on the story then on the um, independent site, Gatwick Airport flights grounded as oil dumped by Boeing 747 causes spillage. Uh-oh. So airport officials say that, that uh, a runway had been or has been cleared after a number of incoming flights were diverted uh, and there were significant knock-on delays. And this was at Gatwick Airport due to a oil spillage. A uh, spokeswoman for the airport confirmed there was a spillage which has now been cleared uh, amid reports that a Virgin Boeing 747 had dumped fuel on the tarmac. Oh uh, the runway closure caused uh, some arriving flights to be diverted to a range of other airports in the area. And there were delays to some departing flights as well as a result, airport officials said. Mm. Gatwick initially told the Independent that the incident began at around 10.30 on Monday morning this week. And uh, a woman sat in a jet stuck on the runway and said her plane had been sitting for there for almost an hour. Claire Ra- I'd love that. No, There's you more wouldn't. more time on a plane. No. Claire Rowland, <laughs> waiting on board an Norwegian flight to Helsinki that was due to leave at 9.40, said the lack of information provided uh, by the airport was frustrating. And they were told that initially there was going to be delays, but it took quite a long time before they found out what the problem was. Mm. Even after the pilot told uh, the uh, people on the aircraft that uh, there was an oil spillage on the road. Is it oil or fuel? You know, get this story right, yeah, independent. Absolutely. Is it oil or fuel? They are two different things. Yeah. Um, they were um, looking at the departures online, and there was nothing there to indicate that there was going to be a, a problem. A delay, right. And uh, these things happen. But uh, they find a lack of information at, mm. uh, from the airport's telegram. I mean, they, they do get told that there's going to be delays. I, mm. I don't think sometimes the airport doesn't see the, the point in saying exactly what you know yeah. the delays are, are caused by. Yeah, I don't think they, there's some things that need to be. Because sort of I kept. think, to be honest with you, most people aren't interested, are they? I mean, I know you would be interested. You'd be fascinated. I'd be fascinated. I know, but I know. I just think I'm just thinking from you know this is this is this is where I do come in when it comes to the show because it's Mr. Layman. I mean, do do we really want to know why the plane is delayed? Sometimes, not knowing why it's delayed is kind of better because people like me who are a bit terrified of flying and making up all these horrific stories in our head about why the plane has been delayed and suddenly I don't want to get on the plane because I'm concerned it's going to fall out of the sky and mm. you know it, it, I, I don't know as, as I, but I'm surprised so just, just, just explain I've got two pilots here who know a lot more about this than I do um, explain to me what, what because I, I thought they normally burnt fuel off before they landed so mm. wh- why is it done a dump Oh, it's, this is on the ground. I mean, this 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 aircraft. I would imagine this uh, aircraft was on the ground and it had a, a, a kind of leak right. of uh, of fuel. Okay. Um, so just just like a fuel line, just like a fuel or leak like or that, something. Right. Yeah. Okay. On, on the I didn't ground. know if it was part of the dumping process. As to I why mean, the story says oil spillage. Then it says, yeah. it says, then fuel. It says fuel. So yeah. it's one okay. of the two. It's going to be yeah. oil or okay. fuel. Both of which are, are are a bit slippery, as you know. With, uh, yes. with even with diesel. Yes. On yeah, the especially roads, diesel. Uh, yeah, it is very slippery. But any any thoughts on this, Matty? Um, I, mean, I didn't really follow the story, but um, you know, I don't think it was dumping fuel that went down the runway, Matt. As you no. Said, <laughs> no, dump, no, 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 which, uh, you know. yeah. um, But it, it could have had a little, little leaking flight, and it's landed with the heavy weight of the landing. It's, it's kind of dropped its collection of fuel that was sat, sat, sat somewhere, mm. or mm. like you say, a fuel line might have got dislodged yeah. on the on the hard landing. Mm. But uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, I mean, people are saying in the chat room here. Actually, uh, you know, they 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 prefer to be uh, informed. Uh, Tony S, especially, saying they prefer to be informed. Uh, Mila was saying, actually, you know, oil takes a lot of cleaning up. Yeah, Mila's quite right. Yeah. You put actually, Mila's put that that fuel would evaporate, which it does. Good point. Yeah, yeah. so it wouldn't be there for very long, would no. it? So you wouldn't need. Jet to... Air One fuel's like a like a diesel. It's very oily. It's not like petrol. Right. Mm. Okay. 
It's yeah. I I, I don't know. As I say, the, the thing is, is and I I mean this in a very very nice way. Please don't be offended, anyone. As I say, but the guy, the, the people who are listening to this, perhaps obviously you guys, I would expect you all to be very fascinated to find out why the plane <laughs> is is delayed. As I say, I'm just sort of try, I'm, I'm just trying to play devil's advocate, if you like, Mister Mister Normal deck. Aviation, Mister Mister Normal wanting to go on holiday, fly person um, may not be as interested, perhaps as as everyone else who's listening <laughs> to the show would be. Do, do you know what I mean? I, I, I hope I'm not offending anyone. <laughs> no, but I, I, I hope Matt that since you've been doing the show with me, I hope that, that when you when you're sitting on a plane now, I'm still you've terrified. Got, but you've I'm got more. Terrified. But you've got more. You you know what you you know you, you've got more knowledge about what's going on. Yeah, I hope so. Anyway, well, no, because the trouble is, is every time I hear a weird, uh, it has helped. Believe it or not, it has helped a little bit in the fact that every time I hear a weird, you know, I hear that weird. Mm. Yeah. noise as, as like the flaps are all moving and yeah. that kind of thing if I'm sitting over the winger so at least I'm not literally bricking myself when I hear that <laughs> noise now but it's just like uh, I, I don't know I, I'm, I'm, I don't know somebody needs to, to, to help me deal with my fear of flying I think we, I need to go and talk to Captain L don't I exactly he's the man to talk to yeah absolutely so next story the next story yours. yes this is mine and uh, it would appear that uh, for some reason Carlos has made me sponsored by Ryanair this week uh, and the headline uh, on the U, uh, the E Turbo so, uh, hang on what is this E Turbo News whatever that is mm. uh, Global Travel Industry News um, and the headline is Ryanair launches Europe wide cabin crew recruitment program dublin in ireland this story is based a recruiting partner for swords based airline swords based airline what's that ryanair says it will be recruiting for hundreds of jobs at the airline throughout february and march the announcement comes hot on the heels of a decision by ground handling services operator swissport to add more than 200 to its workforce at dublin airport and signals a boom in aviation sector employment which supports a large amount of jobs in fingal where's fingal is that in so don't know. Anyway, somebody look that up. Uh, <laughs> open <laughs> interviews are are set to take place for these new Ryanair jobs in Dublin and Cork, with the Dublin interviews happening this very week. The two Irish dates uh, are part of a European-wide recruitment program for the airline, which has jobs available across its huge network spread across the continent. Dalmac, training and recruitment partner for Ryanair, says there are fantastic career opportunities in aviation available in Ireland as Dalmac continues its major European recruitment campaign to fill hundreds of cabin crew positions on board Ryanair aircraft. Successful candidates will have the opportunity to work in various airports across Europe, including Ireland. Ryanair operates more than 1,800 flights daily from uh, sorry more than 1800 daily flights from 77 bases connecting 200 destinations in 31 countries on a fleet of over 300 Boeing 737 aircraft now even I know that it's a Boeing 737-800 get, get me well done. Uh, <laughs> for cabin crew positions no previous cabin crew experience is required in fact some of the people who I've been uh, served by on the Ryanair flight have got no experience in people management or skills or anything anyway uh, <laughs> applicants must be over 18 years of age to apply and it helps if you are hardworking, flexible, outgoing have no soul, no personality no, uh, sorry, uh, uh, have a lively personality uh, experience dealing with the public and the ability to provide excellent customer services is a priority, although I'm going to add in brackets not essential 
Dalmac's head of recruitment, Nal Gleeson, said, We had a fantastic response in 2015 and are extremely satisfied with the very high calibre candidates that we met in Ireland. I should just stress uh, that uh, we are recording uh, this show. Obviously, some people are watching it live, but please, the the show today was recorded because we didn't say it at the start, which we normally do. The show show was recorded on the 5th of March. 5th of March, And it's currently about 9.30 in the morning, so obviously all these stories were current and or accurate at that time of recording. So I've been doing a little bit of delving into uh, to, to what, what you get when you're a Ryanair cabin crew. Um, you start on a fixed-term <laughs> flexible <Sorry>. contract <laughs> for three yeah. years. T- Tony, yes, has just said, uh, I hope that... Uh, what was it? It's, it's, I hope, I hope they get fair paying conditions. Oh well, I'm gonna get. I've <laughs> yeah, got that. Yeah, yeah whatever. <laughs> so, so that the the uh, the the terms are that you are you're on a fixed term flexible contract for three years, and uh, you have the potential to earn over twenty five thousand uh, pounds gross per year. Mm-hmm. Um, you also have um, benefits from being able to obviously have cheap flights abroad. And also from uh, the 1st of April this year, um, staff are going to benefit from a improved fixed roster of five days on, three days off. Right, yes. Um, Money-wise, so after successfully completing the training with Ryanair, um, the uh, crew or the crew can typically expect to earn around about 900 to to £1,000 per month. That's not... A lot. Not a lot, is that it? That is really um, not a lot. After uh, a tax in the first year, depending on base location. After tax? Yeah. Okay, well, that's not uh, as bad. Though. As full-time crew, they receive mo- a new joiner's allowance. Most countries, it's about 20%, well. isn't it? That, that you have between 20 and 25%. So actually, £1,000 after tax is maybe not too bad. So after six months of employment with Ryanair, yeah. um, staff can be eligible f- uh, for to be directly employed by Ryanair because right. they start off on a so with a kind of subcontracted. Title, yeah. Uh, yeah. After twelve months of being with Ryanair, you're eligible for a promotion to a customer service supervisor role. Right. Um, so well. there we go. Um, so the potential to earn up to twenty five thousand pounds a year. Um, mm-hmm. But to start the pay at the beginning, I, I suppose nine hundred yeah. to thousand pound a month. Yeah. I mean, it would be enough to sort of just make ends meet, I guess, mm. as long as you led a fairly frugal lifestyle. But I, I guess it's that stepping stone thing, isn't it? You're, it's a stepping stone onto onto something hopefully bigger. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, on to the next story. The next story. This is this is a a, a topic that uh, Matty F- Matty's going to read out for us. So this is a topic that usually causes a bit of a stir in the chat room. It has to be mm. said when you mention the word seat pitch. I say seat pitch. Seat pitch. <laughs> so uh, so let's see what happens to the chat room as this story is read out. Let's go. <laughs> oh yeah, let me cause a controversy. Yeah. <laughs> so this one's from the uh, where Carlos gets your website from the Runway Girl Network. Oh, oh no. no, no. No, 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 That's know. Mary Kirby. Yeah. Mm. All right, cool. So this one is the high-density A320s for EasyJet will retain seat pitch, assures the airline. So the British low-cost carrier EasyJet has assured that the seat pitch will remain unchanged when it takes delivery of its first 186-seat Airbus A320 in May. Seat pitch in the new configuration is unchanged from a 29-inch of the current 180-fleet, 180-seat arrangement on their fleet, confirms the operator which began retrofitting the aircraft with Vicaro's lightweight SL3510 seat in 2013, but they've ordered 30,000 more of the same seats in October 2015 
or 56 in-service A320s and for line fit on 100 um, A320 Neos that they have on order. Searching for a seat that will ensure passenger comfort for its one to two hour flights, EasyJet also applied strict criteria concerning durability, maintainability and ease of turnaround before settling on the SL3510. Mm. Our day-to-day -day operation and on-time performance are of great importance to us and the biggest driver of customer satisfaction. The primary influences on turn times are ease of cleaning and security search. Both subjects were carefully assessed during the selection of their car or seat, says EasyJet's head of design, Adam Duke. Um, each seat carries around 2,000 passengers every year, so clearly we defined our requirements and meticulously assessed products through a cross-functional team of the appropriate subject experts. And an example, to assess maintainability, I shut myself in a room with one of our cabin engineers for a day. This is not me, this is this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <coughs> we dismantled the seats and put them back together again, recording part replacement times. What a job. Yeah. After the final selection, we worked with Caro on optimizing <coughs> excuse me, on optimizing standard catalogue options and developing EasyJet customization. Our working partnership with Caro has continued since service it's since entering service with regular coordination meetings and practical workshops culminating in some innovative changes that will be introduced with the delivery of our first 186-seat cabin in May. All EasyJet's A320s will be fitted with the new Recaro seats by spring 2018, though Duke did not divulge whether EasyJet has opted to install the reduced footprint SpaceFlex galley stroke lavatory to achieve the 186-seat layout on its forthcoming May delivery. It seems a log logical choice, as that's what Vulin did with its seats with 29 inches. According to Ricaro, the innovations will be unveiled by EasyJet in May, will include a tablet PC holder, but there will be no in-seat power. Not all low-cost carriers have the same demographic or business model. No doubt some will judge in-seat power to be a benefit to their airline and others not so. Certainly it's a very individual choice for an airline and one that needs to be carefully considered, suggests Duke. The carrier is also giving consideration to in-flight Wi-Fi. According to an EasyJet spokeswoman, the airline dismissed first-generation connectivity systems their lack of quality and the significantly increased fuel burn they caused. But EasyJet is now talking to second generation technology providers, including Imnasat. EasyJet believes it's no longer a question of if, but when we're able to install a product that works well for our passengers and the airline. Imnasat is rolling out a hybrid air to ground ATGS band system in Europe. Meanwhile, Duke says feedback from the customers, crew, and staff about the SL3510 seats already installed has been overwhelmingly positive and most of the feedback sent on the seats look and feel. We also managed to remove in excess of 550 kilograms from each aircraft, so it's half a tonne, reducing our carbon footprint and contributing to our commitment to make travel affordable by keeping fares low. Passengers will get a choice to form opinions about the denser 186-seat A320s when it arrives this spring. Wow. So they're pumping uh, more seats into the same aircraft. So yeah, those, well, no. new seats are sort of supposedly thinner, more lightweight. Mm -hmm. So they I've tried. I actually have tried the these seats just yeah. after EasyJet had put them on the first ones on the aircraft. Yeah. I didn't think they were too bad. They were quite comfortable, actually. Well, I, I, well, I, I, I've I've been more comfortable on on the on than certainly on Ryanair. I mean, Ryanair is very very cramped. But uh, hey, I, I mean, if they're not changing the seat pitch, then then maybe this isn't anywhere near as controversial an idea as sort of people are. 
I think it's, de- it's more leg room with EasyJet. I do. Th- yeah, I think. definitely. Yeah, I definitely can actually get my legs mm. sort of more or less straight out underneath it. And you know, and I'm a big chap. Have you sat in these new seats, mate? The uh, these new Recaro seats on Not EasyJet. Not EasyJet, but when we went to Mallorca last year, we went with um, Thompson, one of their new seven three seven eight hundreds, and oh, they yeah. had these Recaro seats in. And on the older aircraft that we flew on, because I'm six foot one as well, yeah, yeah, my yeah. knees were sort of touching the seat in front. But yeah. on, on the Thompson plane, absolutely fine. You know, they are thinner seats, but they're just as comfy, and it yeah. does give plenty of legroom. So yeah. if yeah, it's the yeah. same kind of seats in them, then yeah. I can't, you know, can't see no a problem complaints. They're putting more seats on an aeroplane, yeah. and they're lighter. So the, th- like they're saying, the, the, the costs yeah. to run the aeroplane should be less. Yeah, so absolutely. I think one of the things that always annoys me is if you're if you're because I like to sit near the window because that's just me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, if you're yes. uh, which is okay when you've got you know, the wife is next to you, then you've got someone yes. to sit on the aisle seat. Mm. And if there's not much legroom, you've got to all get up to yeah. to you know yeah. to to go to the loo, which is why I always try and book the over the overwing exit seats, yeah. so I haven't got to yeah. ask someone to move when I want to mm. you know want to go on to well, go to the loo. Well, you know, it's just it's just one of those things. At the end of the day, it is the most effective way of moving around the, around the world, isn't it? So you you have to put up with some of these things, don't you? I mean, there's only so much short of flying business class. I know Mila, Mila's just put in the chat room that she prefers a cockpit seat. No trouble with power supply or seat pitch. Then good point. Good yes. point, Mila. Yes. Very Although, true. would you would you require a PowerPoint because you're probably a little busy if you're in the cockpit? Yeah, well, you do Possibly. need a PowerPoint because they've, they've got to plug their uh, their uh, their EFBs in electronic flight their, bags. Their what? Sorry, their tablets. <laughs> okay, right. yeah, they've got to put you know they've got to have power supplied for okay. the power there. Yeah, right. Well, that's exciting. I know. Next story <laughs> uh, on the this one is on the Birmingham Mail right. website. Okay. The website of the year. Right. I question that. <laughs> so the headline is a £1 million air bridge goes up at Birmingham Airport Yay. with the Airbus A380 en route. Very cool. Very Some cool. major infrastructure work has been taking place to prepare the world's largest passenger aircraft. And uh, this work is being undertaken at uh, Birmingham uh, Airport to uh, ready for when the, uh, the A380 uh, comes in there, and obviously it's got to have this to be able to to get everyone on, you know, on the uh, on the aircraft, on and off the aircraft. There's not a lot to this story, but uh, I thought I'd pop this one in there because mm. it's, it's let's, another. Let's pop that picture up. Shall it's we? another airport in the UK yeah. that's going to be uh, that's going to be serving the A380 when it comes yeah. in. There we go. There's the picture there. Yeah, I don't know with, quite why it's doing with, that with strobing thing. It's snow. It's snowing <laughs> over the air bridge. <laughs> That is huge. Look at the height of that airbridge. That is that is huge. And but it is a beast of an aircraft, isn't it? Oh, so three eight years. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, but uh, Birmingham. How far is Bir- Birmingham? How far is that way from you, May? Um, about an hour and twenty minutes, an hour and a half south oh, right. from me. It's so it's a bit far. like us going to Stansted then for for. Um, yeah, for I mean, I'm quite day. lucky, really. I'm, I'm sort of within an hour, an hour and a half of East Midlands, Manchester, Leeds, Birmingham, Doncaster. Wow. So it's, yeah, sort of nice and central for sort of major major air- airports then. Yeah. So the next story then, next this story. is a, this is a special one, uh, especially for those of you who fly regularly with EasyJet. Right. Okay, that will be me then. So uh, today, uh, so it's not not so much that I'm just sponsored by low cost carriers. <laughs> okay. Right. So this story is on the Business Traveller website, and the headline is EasyJet Flight Club launches. 
EasyJet has officially launched its Flight Club program. This should be good. As previously reported uh, in news in February 2016, the chief executive of EasyJet, Carolyn McCall, DBE, has said that the program is invitation only, with the minimum threshold for being invited to, to join being 20 return flights per year. With the airline, even if a flyer reaches that threshold, it may be limited due to the numbers satisfying that criteria. So in emails sent out this week, uh, Dame Carolyn says that the Flight Club program is part of a wider initiative for business travellers, which has also seen the introduction of allocated seating and improved punctuality. We are keen to do something to say thank you for our regular flyers. Flight mm. Club is not like traditional frequent flyer schemes, which you have told us often generate admin, frustration and bureaucracy. Instead, it will be a simple and a cost-effective scheme. So the benefits, basically, well, the highlights of, the, of this story are the benefits are, are detailed, uh, w which were detailed previously, is free flight changes without having to pay admin fees. Good. Free name changes, up to five name changes per year completely free. Uh, a price promise, if passengers find the same flight on easyjet.com at a lower price, the price difference can be put forward, uh, can be put forward towards the next flight being booked previews and special offers and dedicated contact center team the emails contain both the de the dedicated phone number and also each flight club members customer number flight club will be rolled out market by market at present it is not expanded <coughs> beyond the three markets in which it had been trial which is the UK France and Switzerland so yeah if, if you're a business if you're a business passenger this is actually uh, quite quite a good thing yeah I was looking at the eligibility Mm -hmm. um, of this, Matt, on yeah. the EasyJet's website, and uh, the, who is eligible uh, for yeah. this flight club? Uh, you have to, you have booked and flown twenty flights or more in the last twelve months with EasyJet. So you've right. got to, you've got to book twenty or more flights with EasyJet in the last twelve months. Yeah. Uh, you have booked and flown on ten flights or more and spent one thousand five hundred pound or other currency equivalent in the last twelve months. Right. And the other eligibilities. Um, um, point is that you have booked and flown on an average of 10 flights or more for 10 years with at least one flight every year Okay, with right. EasyJet mm -hmm. so uh, well, that's, that's the eligibility. But then if you are flying on a regular basis then it's not going to be long before you meet those criteria. But we said, we said last week didn't we about the um, business, you know, more and more business people mm -hmm. using Ryanair and EasyJet for, for business, yeah, not just uh, yeah. pleasure flights yeah, but I mean, because most people are doing short hops, aren't they? And, mm. and at the end of the day, you know, if they're going to Dubai, they're not going to be flying Ryanair anyway, are they? So no, no. It, it's one of those. Not I mean, yet, anyway. If, you, if you're just <laughs> popping to somewhere in Europe um, for for a business meeting that maybe lasts a couple of hours, then then you know, mm. EasyJet and Ryanair are you know they are the buses of the skies. Aren't exactly. They? There's no two ways about well, it. Well, EasyJet are because they use air buses. Oh dear. Ba -bum -tss. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. And the sad news is, ladies and gentlemen, he's here all morning. I know. Uh, <laughs> so come on in, come on in, Matty Fab. Drop, drop your right in it then. Given the choice, EasyJet or Ryanair? Ooh. Ooh, the scandal. Um, I've never flown on either. What? What? Not Hang on a there. minute. Matty I'm Fab. Kind of person. I can't. You know, when they all stand there and they all start running to get the seats. I know you can book your seats now, but it stressed me out too much that sat there wanting to get a seat. So I'm, I'll happily pay more to go with... Thompson and Monarchan and such and have a nice seat number that I know I can walk on whatever time and sit in my seat I know who sat next to me. <laughs> well, Brilliant. Is that? Yes. Oh, fantastic yeah, answer. Uh, unfortunately, for, um, <laughs> unfortunately for humble coach drivers like myself, you know, Ryanair or EasyJet are the only options I'm, if we want to go away. 
But I, I, but this year to Malta, I'm using yeah. Air Malta. Are you? Yeah, because they were cheaper. What? They were actually cheaper well, than EasyJet cool. and Ryanair, Air Malta were, yeah. I mean, I've got to go to Gatwick. Yes. Which okay. is a bit of a, well, uh, right. a nightmare. It's no worse but, than going to Heathrow. Uh, they were, no, but they were a lot, lot cheaper. Mm. Oh, and really? you, you still get, with <coughs> Air Malta, just plugging Air Malta here, because yeah. I am a, a lover <laughs> of the Air Malta. <laughs> I'm a lover of Air Malta, but uh, for your ticket price with Air Malta, you still get in-flight snacks. What? Complimentary complimentary in-flight snacks yeah okay. yeah there right. we go <laughs> and on that bombshell. Same, same with the check later if you're listening <laughs> yeah, air malta yeah, he just wants free flights that's know, all he cares about yeah. <laughs> so the next okay. story is all yours may okay so this one's from the ain online uh, website and the headline is german-owned atc provider takes control of the gatwick tower Ooh. Mm. so air traffic control tower services at london gatwick airport have been provided by a subsidiary of company of german air navigation service provider dfs and what's that dutsche flutschenberger we'll just call them dfs the wholly owned subsidiary of dfs Air Navigation Solutions replaces the UK NATS as tower service provider to the country's second largest airport. ANS is responsible for air traffic and approach services below 4,000 feet around the airport, which is located 28 miles south of London. NATS continues to provide um, approach and guidance to Gatwick from its Swanwick Area Control Centre. The German government owns 100% of DFS. NATS is structured as a public-private partnership. In the UK, the government owns 49%, the airlines own 42%, and employees own 5%. And the UK airport operator LHR Airports owns 4%. Gatwick's management team invited tenders for the tower <coughs> excuse me, and engineering services in late 2013 and announced the award to DFS in July 2014, calling the German provider's proposal superior to submissions from all other contenders. Oh dear. The contract term was for 10 years. The expectation at the time was that ANS would begin providing services in October 2015. However, NATS challenged the tender process through the UK High Court of Justice and won an injunction in October 2014 that suspended the contract award. The parties later settled the dispute before the matter went to trial, freeing Gatwick to conclude the contract. Oversight of the tower switched to ANS early on March 1st, NATS announced. It issued the following statement. We are very proud of our track record at Gatwick, which is, by a large margin, the busiest and most efficient single runway airport in the world, and where Nats last summer delivered a record of 934 movements in a single day. Wow. We have worked closely with ANS to ensure a safe and professional transition, including seconding 24 employees to support the operation for the next two years. ANS Managing Director Vernon Spear in a statement said the transition resulted in a smooth and seamless handover of services. And Spear formerly managed the Bremen Area Control Centre in Germany. Wow. Who'd have thought that a company that made sofas would be interested in intending <laughs> for, a, for, a, for, a, for a air traffic control tower? There's a thought. I know. <laughs> I just can't, can't get it out of my head now. I'm just, Sorry. For those of you in the chat room who, are not, who, do, who do not live in the UK, um, DFS actually... Um, they Discount sell, furniture store. Yeah, they sell sofas. Um, but that the yes. they are. Um, so yes, no, that's why we that's why we were chatting. <laughs> we were laughing to I ourselves know. during that story. Yes. <laughs> so no, anyway, back to aviation. Food for thought, though. German no no yeah. ATC provider. Well, they should be very efficient. I would imagine yeah. they are a very efficient, uh, uh, you know, a group altogether. Really, mm, they yeah. generally tend to be, don't they? Ooh, yeah. Always, always getting things right and stuff. So. <laughs> and, uh, 
but well, they are most of the time most yeah. of the time anyway, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> either so, that or they're nicking all the sunbeds oh, <laughs> you've been watching too many <laughs> adverts <laughs> I love that advert that they're running oh, where he drops there. out of the sky no, I, know, no, I know I know yeah. I, I don't know what it's for though that's the only thing it's for Travel Republic who? Uh, uh, a booking um, holiday booking oh I see mm. right okay that's the only trouble because the advert hasn't worked for me because I remember the image of this this German man dropping out of the sky but I couldn't for the life no, of it's so tell, funny it's a great advertising from. campaign yeah. yeah I would uh, say YouTube it but don't bother no no, no. <laughs> it probably is on there so next story on BBC News the BBC News yes. and um, Emirates I do, I do love my BBC I know you yes. do <laughs> Emirates A380 from Dubai to New Zealand makes longest non-stop flight so so an Emirates A380 jet made what is believed to be the current longest non-stop scheduled commercial flight by distance. Ooh. The plane covered uh, around 14,200 kilometres or 8,824 miles when it touched down in Auckland, New Zealand on Wednesday this week. Good it was expected me. to be the world's longest non-stop commercial flight by duration as well, but landed too early. No. Emirates expects a high demand for the new route, which reportedly reduces the current travel time by three hours. The return flight uh, to Dubai left uh, around uh, 10.20 in the evening local time, uh, according to New Zealand media. The Auckland-Dubai portion was estimated to take around 17 hours and 15 minutes. Oh, I love that length no, of flight. No, it's my but worst nightmare. In, but in the end, it only took 16 hours and 24. Yeah, that's better. 16 hours and 24, Matt. That's better. Yeah, yeah, that makes a huge difference. Yeah. Uh, the inaugural flight was made by an Airbus A380, but the route will normally be flown and operated by a 777-200LR. You see, if it, if, it, if it was me, if it, if it was my choice, right, I do, you know what the... Do you remember the A-team? Yeah. B.A. Baracus? It, you'd be drinking milk. No, 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 no. Oh. I'd be unconscious. They'd exactly. have to make me unconscious. We'll give you some stick, milk. Fancy milk. Stick me on the plane. I'll, then I'll be yeah. no trouble to anyone. <laughs> so, uh... The, the, uh, old plane fool. Exactly. <laughs> the new route is uh, the new route has beaten the Dallas Sydney flight operated by Qantas previously. Uh, previously, the longest flight distance by covering um, thirteen thousand eight hundred kilometers or eight thousand five hundred and seventy-eight miles. The Qantas service, however, remains the world's longest flight duration at sixteen hours and fifty-five minutes. But this may not last long as Emirates plans to launch a Dubai to Panama City service later on this year or in early 2017. It will take 17 hours uh. and 35 oh, minutes. That's horrible. The new service, however, will cover around 8,588 miles, falling short of the new Dubai-Auckland route. Qatar Airways, or Qatar Airways, has also announced plans to launch even longer flights from its hub in Doha to Santiago in Chile, and also to Auckland uh, as well, Bloomberg has reported. Ooh. And Singapore Airlines reveals plans last year, uh, revealed plans last year to bring back their Singapore to New Jersey service in 2018. The flight will apparently cover some 9,500 miles in 19 hours. Wow. Right. I'm just going to have to say here, Tim Hitchbrook has just said in the chat Hitchcock. room here. Hitchcock. sorry. Because I, I haven't got my glasses on. I can't. He's not got his glasses it's all, on. It's <laughs> all the way over there and I can't quite read it. But it says, uh, hi there. Hope you're all well. I'm in New Zealand at the moment, but flying back to Brisbane, Australia on an Emirates A380 business class. Oh, oh you're in for a lovely. treat. Oh, how oh. lovely. Very, very jealous. The, the, <laughs> I, I've, I've flown business class with the 777, uh, uh, Tim. Tomorrow afternoon um, evening, by the way. And yeah. that was fantastic on the 777 yeah. business class. But on the 380, yeah. oh, blimey, you're in for a treat. I'm going to have to ask Matt, Matty, have you ever actually been lucky enough to fly business class? 
We flew first class once. <coughs> Woo! Wow. Yeah, don't get too excited. Oh. On our honeymoon, we went to America. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and we, because I'm a, a playing geek, I booked... No, are you? From, That's yeah, brand new and not. shocking information. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we had a week in Miami first, and then a week in Orlando. So oh, rather than driving wow. from Miami to Orlando, I had the choice of booking an airplane. So obviously I did. Right. And they upgraded yes. us because it was our honeymoon to first class <gasps> on an American Airlines. I think oh, it was a 757. Wow. Oh, wow. And the flight was 20 minutes long. So, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. So, yes. Sat us down in the nice leather seats, brought us some pop, pot nuts, took the pop of nuts off us, told us to put seatbelts back on because we were landing. But, right. Well, absolutely. Better than nothing is right. I actually managed to get to fly back once. Um, I, I, went to, um, I went to New Zealand. And uh, I'd love to go. Or, 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 oh, honestly, mate, if you haven't, you must. I've done the uh, North Island. I did Auckland, and, and that's. But my my intention is to go back with my friend Tom, who who I went, uh, who I met out there, because he was actually travelling around the world at the time. And I, it was just before I I bought the pub, and so I had a little bit of spare money. Mm. So I went out to New Zealand, and um, yeah, it was just. Uh, I love New Zealand. If I had my way, I would go and live in New Zealand. That is the place that I would emigrate <sighs> to if I had a choice. But um, um, I, I was very lucky enough coming because I had a terrible flight going out, which I'm sure I'm, I, I've bored you all with before. And I got to fly home business class, and that was the single greatest experience of my life. If I could fly business class everywhere, I wouldn't have a problem with aeroplanes. It would be fine. <laughs> I'd be absolutely fine. But uh, yeah, that really was quite a treat. Anyway, enough of this. On to the next story. Oh, this is your one. Is it? Is it your one? I can't, I've lost my plot. Lost uh, yes, my plot, it is my story. It is yes, story. it is my story. Yes, okay. Yeah, I'll drone I'll, on. Yeah, <laughs> I beg your pardon. <laughs> it's drone. It's, it's, a, drone. it's a drone story. Oh, dear. Anyway, this is, is on. PG drone noise, guys. Oh, yeah. We need, yeah, we need some sound effects. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought I'd just been attacked by a, a group of hornets then for a moment. Uh, right. This is the, the news in Portsmouth, uh, portsmouth.co.uk, and the headline is Drone Almost Hits Plane Landing at Southampton Airport. Here we go again. Uh, it is a drone nearly hit an aircraft coming into land at Southampton Airport. Aviation investigators have revealed it was one of 23 near misses between aircraft and drones in just six months, according to the UK Airprox Board. The UK AB has published reports on the incidences which took place between April the 11th and October the 4th last year. Here is a summary of the 12 which were put in the most serious risk category. So April 25th, a military Lynx helicopter was forced to conduct an evasive manoeuvre to avoid hitting a drone over Hambrook in Gloucestershire. The pilot said the object passed just one rotor span down from the side of the helicopter. June 17th, the pilot of an auto gyro was on a <coughs> training flight over uh, Detling in Kent at 1,500 feet when he encountered a drone. The aircraft missed the drone by around 20 metres and the pilot assessed the risk of collision as high. Uh, the 9th of July, both members of the flight crew on an RJ-1 aircraft spotted a drone at an altitude of 4,000 feet over Detling in Kent. That's two in Detling in Kent. Uh, it passed 60 feet below the left wing, probably the same aircraft, let's be honest. The UK AB concluded that it would have been impossible for the drone to have been flown legally because, that, uh, because at that height it would not have been seen by an observer on the ground. 
26th of July, a silver drone passed within two wing lengths of a BE-200 aircraft as it was coming in to land at Southampton Airport. Investigators found that a chance uh, had played a major part in a collision being avoided. 11th of August, a Chinook, oh, blimey, a Chinook pilot was carrying out a simulated engine malfunction near RAF Odding, Oddingham in Hampshire when a quadcopter drone with an attached camera was seen around 75 feet to its side. 27th of August, the pilot of a Dornier DO328 short-haul jet, which typically has capability for around about 30 passengers, was at 2,800 feet on the approach to Manchester Airport when he spotted a bright blue drone. The UKAB determined that the drone was not permitted to be within that airspace. 13th of September, a Boeing 737 suffered a near miss with the drone shortly after taking off from Stansted Airport in Essex. I remember covering that story. Mm. The incident happened so quickly there was no time to take uh, avoiding action, the pilot said. The 13th of September, in the skies around, around the Houses of Parliament, a drone became uh, within 20 metres of an Embraer 170 jet on its approach to London City Airport. The UKAB considered that the drone operator was the cause of the near miss. 22nd of September, shortly after a Boeing 777 had taken off from Heathrow Airport, a drone narrowly passed down the right-hand side of the airline. Investigators concluded that the drone was at the same height and within 20 Five meters of the jet. A report was made to police, but the drone operator was not traced. I'm not going to go on because, well, these stories are just. I mean, it's, bit too frequent. Too really, many, yeah. too many stories. I mean, this frankly. is getting almost as ridiculous as the laser kind of thing. It is. It? You yes, know, absolutely. And, um, in fact, there. In fact, there was one. Um, we haven't covered it because we covered it last week, actually. But uh, um, uh, on the, if you look up uh, BBC Look East, um, there was a, uh, a story of a, an F-15 jet uh, this week. Um, mm. Where a green yeah. laser was fired at a, at a pilot, whilst he was um, whilst he was on on, on ec- training exercises. Mm. Um, I can't remember the, where it was, but as I say, it's uh, it was an F fifteen. It, it, it's it's uh, people have got to be more responsible, haven't they? I mean, yeah. uh, have you got uh, a UAV or a, or a drone, Matty? My dad's got um, a DJI Phantom that he flies. Ooh, very nice. I've been looking to get him one. To be fair, um, yeah. I do I do fancy one, but I just can't understand the. Oh, another word than stupidity of some of these yeah. people that's flying these absolutely. drones around. It's absolutely yeah. unbelievable. I mean, I know I'm probably a bit more biased. I do fly an aeroplane. I dread mm. to think, because I've obviously played with my dad's uh, Phantom. Mm. If that hit my Cessna 150 while I'm flying, it, it'd just tear the wing off. It'd just yeah. smash the prop. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. And that's it. That you mm. know. Yeah. It's, mm. But it's the same story, isn't it? Because virtually everyone that flies one are all very practical. They're very sensible. They know what the rules are. They wouldn't dream of going that high. They're just using it as a toy, you know. Yeah. Uh, most people are so, but it's the same old story. It's the minority spoiling it for the majority yeah. again. And I get so fed up of this. It's like the same with the laser pens. I mean, we've all got a little laser. I've got a little laser pen here. It drives the cat bananas. Oh yeah, and I love it. Um, but I certainly wouldn't dream of firing out a window or firing up in the sky an aircraft that was flying over and it <coughs> disturbs me that people are that stupid sorry I'm probably being controversial no, yeah, it's very true. Trouble. Very, very, right. you know, it just really really winds me up because as we're not allowed nice things in this country are we because somebody spoils, spoils it for, it the for rest everyone of yeah, yeah. anyway I, I could go on but I'm not going to <laughs> <laughs> so next story is yours Matty yeah Okay, so this is from the businesstraveller.com website, and the headline is Korean Air gears up for launch of the A380 on the London route. So later this month, Korean Air will finally launch its A380 aircraft onto services from Seoul to London Heathrow. 
From March 27th, the carrier's daily flights to and from London will feature the Super Jumbo, configured for 407 seats. That's 301 in economy, 94 in business class and 12 in first class. The A380 will operate on flight Kilo Echo 907, departing Seoul at 13.25 and landing into Heathrow at 17.25, with the return leg Kilo Echo 908 leaving London at 19.35 and landing back into South Korea at 14.25 the following day. Korean Air took delivery of its first A380 aircraft in 2011, and it has 10 of the aircraft in its fleet. It had originally been expected to make London the first European destination for its Super Jumbo, but instead it opted to place the aircraft on its Paris Charles de Gaulle route. Five years on, sorry, five years on, Heathrow will finally welcome Korean Air's A380 at the start of the summer schedules. That's it. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I got a bit distracted by because we were sort of busy setting up for um, uh, Pip's segment a little bit later. But uh, yes, it, it is. It, it's just, just. Yeah. Have you seen the uh, the paint job with the Korean with the A380s? Look really. I do look quite smart. I do like the colours that the uh, Korean use with their um, mm. with their, their their aircraft. Yeah. I, 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 another, I've not seen. Is there, is there a the picture there? as well? No, there's no, no there picture isn't. on here. No, I think true. we covered up before on the, mm. on uh, a previous show when when they rolled out. Mm. Um, but RAF uh, Lake and Heath, by the way, the story that I was talking about. Earlier. Another uh, another uh, three eighty. Thank you, Tony S, for that. Yeah. No, it's another three eighty for the. If you have you been on the three eighty yet, uh, Matty? No, no, I haven't. No. No. Awesome. Um, I absolutely love it. It's, yeah. it's, it's one heck of an aircraft. It it, it's an yeah. ugliest. I mean, I'm going to be controversial yeah. here again <laughs> and say it's ugly as, as blimey, this aircraft, the A380. But uh, inside, there's yes. loads of room. Loads of room. Loads of room. You could have a party. You go in, um, on board and you go, oh my, look at all this room in here. Like that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take it that does look nice flying, though. I remember when we went to uh, Farnborough a couple of years ago and saw it flying up close. It, it is a huge bit yeah. of kit. And it, it flies so majestically as well for such a big piece of kit. Yeah. 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 yeah, no, incredible. But, uh, Actually, if you go to Farnborough this year, if they have the static one on display there again, like they mm. normally do, you can go on board um, the test bed, oh, the cool. flying test bed A380, Ooh, which lovely. is quite cool. Mm. Yeah. Yes, I hope there aren't any big bugs in it, though, like we covered last oh, week. Oh, God, no. Oh, no, no. Boo. Apologies, ladies and gentlemen, here comes the rain here again. Here comes the rain again. <laughs> That's the only trouble with the conservatory. <laughs> so the last story then on the... Oh, the last story on today's yeah. segment of the show Let and it's me a guess. Ryanair story and but it's, it's for me is it it's uh, for me I know okay, I thought you were just going to give it to no, me anyway no, no, you're no, nice I'm not that, that. no no yeah. <laughs> so on the travel uh, the travel uh, or independent actually dot ie site and uh, the headline Ryanair announces seven new routes from Belfast Airport. Oh, good. So the routes are going to oh, create. Uh, yeah, the routes are going to create 750 jobs. The airline says, which Woo-hoo. is brilliant. And uh, Ryanair is bolstering its Belfast in, uh, investment with the announcement of seven new routes for winter 2016-2017. The airline announced this week that the new routes to Alicante, Berlin, Krakow, Lanzarote, Malaga, Milan, and Tenerife from Belfast International. Ryanair will also uh, plan to increase flights uh, to London Gatwick to five daily in an expansion. It says will deliver over one million customers a year. This January, the airline announced uh, plans to re-establish its space at Belfast um, uh, with a three-time daily service to London Gatwick. Three aircraft will be based at Belfast next winter, an investment of over 300 million that would create 750 jobs at the airport, it added. We look forward to growing routes, traffic and jobs in Belfast in the coming months and years, says Ryanair CEO Michael O'Leary, who used uh, used the announcement to call on the Northern Ireland vote uh, yes in June's Brexit referendum. We've covered that in a few shows. Uh, yeah. 
the new routes will see three weekly flights uh, to and from Alicante, uh, Berlin, Krakow. Four weekly flights to and from Malaga. <laughs> and two flights a week to Milan, as well mm. as to and from Tenerife and Lanzarote in the Canary Islands. Earlier this week, Ryanair published its February results, which saw traffic grow uh, by 28% to mm. 7.4 million customers. Wow. That's so incredible. there we go. For those of you living in uh, in Belfast, yep, uh, you've got more or oh, more uh, options to uh, fly to fantastic uh, to, to sunny sunny climbs. Good, yeah. Well, uh, and and th- I mean, we we think we have rain here, but it's it's not a patch on what the poor guys in Ireland have to put up with on a, on on a, on a daily basis. I think is the say. They, they definitely don't get somewhere where they're actually from. that that picture. Yeah, uh, Matty Fab will back me up on this. That picture yeah. there is uh, the seven three seven Max because it's right. got the scimitar winglets on. Uh, I think, oh, with, is that right, the, Matty? It's the, I think it is. The, the double fin, as I call Double it. winglets, yeah. Yeah, yeah the scimitar the winglets. Yeah, that's uh, one yeah. of the 737 uh, Maxes. No, no, they have them is on it? the 800s as well. Do they have, have they got them on the 800s now? Uh, the one I flew on, yes. The, oh, because I know the shark, they've got the sharklets on the um, on the 800s. And I know Thompson on their 737-800s, uh, they've got the uh, scimitar winglets on some of those. That's what I've been on, the Thompson one, which I talked about earlier, had it on. Yeah. Uh, Ray, Ray Davis says, nice curves. <laughs> nice get, they are nice. Get. I do love those scimitar wheels. Yeah. I think they look awesome. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. No, yeah. They, they are a great thing, aren't they? They're, it's just uh, that's a lovely picture, actually, isn't it? Where the, where they're uh, where it's up in the sky there. Look, it's really nice. I like that. Yes, absolutely. Anyway, uh, that is where we conclude the uh, key, the commercial aviation part of the show for this week. We're just going to take a very very qu- very very quick break. After that, we're going to bring you Pilot Pip. And then, uh, then we're going to crack on with the military, and then we're going to have a little chat with our guest this week, Matty Fab. So uh, we'll be right back, ladies and gentlemen, after these very, very important messages. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. The Voices in Your Head dot com. The Plain Talking UK podcast is a voluntary project that aims to keep you informed with the latest aviation-related stories from newswires across the globe. Producing our content does cost money, though. If you enjoy our show, why not help us keep on the air by making a donation towards the server and website hosting fees through PayPal? Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you an Amazon user? If so, why not do your shopping through the link on our website? There's no cost to yourself, and Amazon pay us a small referral fee on qualifying purchases. To find out more about the show and to meet the team, take yourself to our website website www.plaintalkinguk.com or find us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk on twitter via at plaintalkinguk or get in touch via email on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com thanks Thanks for for listening. listening Oh, that was good. That was, yeah. yes. So, we have got next then. Yeah, next. Coming up next, we're going to play out uh, the legend that is Pip's little segment. Uh, and then after that, it's uh, bra- we're get- with a little bit of military. And then, uh, brace yourself, Matty Fab, it's time to interview you. So, if you are in the chat room, guys, uh, we're going to be talking uh, PPL and all sorts. So, yeah. any questions you've got for both Carlos and Matty Fab, to uh, be uh, fair. No, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is, this is <laughs> Grill the Fab. No, no, no. We're going to grill <laughs> both of you, I've decided. So, uh, oh, keep right. those questions coming in. We'll scroll through in the chat room and... 
we'll be going through those very, very shortly. But uh, it is time now to uh, bring in our resident, our, our toilet-trained, if you will, pilot, uh, <laughs> who is, uh, who's got another great segment for us. And today it's all about lighting. Plane safety from the flight deck with Pilot Pip. Hi everyone, it's Pip here with another safety from the flight deck segment. Okay. A relatively short segment this week. I'm here in Barcelona down in sunny Spain where I've just eaten way too much tapas. Feeling a bit bloated now, but I've got a pretty early start again in the morning so I need to get some sleep. But I really wanted to get a segment in for the guys this week. So I thought I would talk a little bit about lights, aircraft exterior lights. Have you ever wondered what all those green and red lights are, all those white flashing lights? Well, I'll tell you. Now some lights we put on all of the time, other lights are only on at certain times of flight. So let's start with the most obvious ones, the red and green lights that you always see lit up on the end of the aircraft wings. And those are called the navigation lights. And these usually will be the very first lights that we turn on when we get to the aircraft and they're left on pretty much for the whole time that there's power applied to the aircraft. And the purpose of those lights, or one of the purposes at least, is to let everyone know that there is power applied to the aircraft. So as soon as the APU is running or as soon as we've plugged in a ground power source and as soon as there's power applied to the aircraft we'll switch on those lights. So it lets everybody know that the aircraft is alive and active. Of course they have other uses for positional awareness. If you know which side the red and green lights are supposed to be on, you can then uh, work out which direction the aircraft is heading in if, you, if you're looking at it coming towards you. And the green light is always on the right hand side of the aircraft or the starboard side and the red light will always be on the left side, the port side. And the easy way to remember that is that port is red port like the wine the drink the red wine drink is red therefore the port side the left side is always the red light and therefore the port being the red left then the starboard side the right side will always be green and you may be interested to know where those terms come from and like most things in aviation it goes back to old nautical terms back to the the naval days and the word starboard actually comes from the old english word steerboard and this goes back to the times when ships and boats, before they had centerline rudders, they were always steered with a steering oar, which was at the back of the ship. And because most people are right-handed, that steering oar would be on the right-hand side of the ship. So over time, steerboard became starboard, because that's the side of the ship that it was steered from. And since that steering oar was on the right-hand side of the ship, then that meant that when they moored up at the wharf or the port, they would do so with the wharf on the left hand side or the port on the left hand side of the ship and therefore the left hand side became known as the port side. Why green was chosen as the colour for the starboard side and red for port? Well I've no idea. Why not blue and white or some other colours? I really don't know but red and green are the colours we use. So green for starboard, red for port. And of course that will never change irrespective of the orientation of the position of the observer so if you can see the red and green lights in the night sky then you can work out in which direction relative to you the aircraft is heading but actually you won't be able to see the navigation lights or the red and green ones at least from all the way around 360 degrees around the aircraft if you stood at the back of the aircraft looking towards it 
looking towards the front, you wouldn't be able to see those red and green lights. The red and green lights are generally only visible from an arc of about, off the top of my head, I seem to remember it's about 110 degrees off the center line of the aircraft. At the back of the aircraft actually is a white light, which is another of the navigation lights, but it's a white light that you'll see from the back. So if you're looking at an aircraft in the night sky and all you can see is the white light, then you'll know that the aircraft is heading away from you because you're looking at the back of it. And the next light that we have on, or pretty much most of the time, is the red beacon light. That's the red flashing light. Usually you have one of these on top of the fuselage and one underneath the fuselage. And this is either a, a flashing light or a rotating beacon light. And we turn this on just prior to engine start and it stays on until the engines have wound down again once we've pulled up and stand to our destination. And the purpose of the red beacon light is purely to notify people that the engines are running. Obviously big jet engines are a dangerous place to be standing around or close to. So as a visual aid to let people know that the engines are about to be started or are already running is the red beacon light. So when you look up into the night sky, as well as those red and green navigational lights, you may well be able to pick out the red flashing beacon light. And turning that one on will be part of the pre-start checklist. And again, turning it off, we'll wait for the engines to wind down below a certain power level or N1 or N2 level before we turn that off again to let everyone know that it's safe to approach the aircraft. And that one actually becomes important in an emergency. If you've had an aborted takeoff or you've uh, made some sort of emergency landing, it's important to remember that once you've shut the aircraft down that you turn that light off because it's one of the things the emergency services, the airport rescue services will be looking for. If that red light is still flashing, they may well not approach the aircraft for fear that the engines are still running. So it's quite important that you remember in an emergency situation that you follow your checklist and turn that red beacon light off. Then the next set of lights that we might look at will be the taxi lights. And these are there purely to enhance visual awareness. They're basically the headlights that you have on your car. They light up the way in front of you so the pilots can see the surrounding area, see the taxiway and see exactly where they're driving their aircraft. Now taxi lights come in all kinds of different forms and variations, depends on the aircraft type. Generally they're at the nose of the aircraft on the nose wheel or very close to the nose and it lights up the taxiway ahead of you. However, you do need to be a little bit wary of where you've got your taxi lights on. For instance, when you're taxiing back onto the stand, if you're going to a remote stand or if you're being marshalled, those taxi lights can be very bright. So you want to try and remember to turn those off if you're being marshalled in. Otherwise, you, you might blind or temporarily blind the marshaller. Another time to turn them off might be when you're taxiing or holding short of the runway. You don't want to have those taxi lights on and be blinding or distracting pilots of approaching aircraft who are about to land on the runway. But taxi lights are pretty self-explanatory, I think. They're on when we're taxiing and off when we're not. And then the next set of lights that we might use are the rather inaccurately called landing lights. And again, this depends a little bit on exactly what aircraft type you've got, how they're set up. Sometimes they're part of the taxi light system. They're the same lights and it's like a, the high and low beams on your car. But usually they're a separate set of lights, often in the wings, uh, near the wing route, near the fuselage. And these are very bright headlights. But as I say, they're rather inappropriately called landing lights because they're not really used just for landing. And generally the first time we turn these on are when we are cleared 
for takeoff. So we'll line up on the runway. We've got all the other lights going at this point, the nav lights, the beacons, and the taxi lights, and we'll taxi onto the runway. And until we've heard the words cleared for takeoff, we don't switch on those landing lights. And once they're on, once we've been cleared for takeoff, they generally stay on until passing 10,000 feet. Again, this will be an SOP that varies from airline to airline, but most operators will turn them off passing through, climbing through 10,000 feet. And that's certainly what we do at Safe Jets. And again, we won't turn them back on until we're into the descent and passing down, descending through 10,000 feet again. And in those lower altitudes, 10,000 feet and below, we want to make ourselves as visible as possible. So we generally turn on all the available lights at that point. Now the navigation lights and the beacon lights will already be on, as will the, the wing strobes, which I'll talk about in a second. But it's a good idea to be as visible and recognisable as possible. So we turn on all the available lights to make us nice and bright and nice and obvious, especially in the night sky. Now the other lights that I just mentioned there briefly are the strobe lights. These are the white, bright flashing lights on the wing tips. And again, these are lights that are left on for the entire duration of the flight, usually at least with one caveat, but we turn them on when we're cleared to line up is the, the standard SOP at most airlines. You're holding short of the runway. As soon as you've been cleared to enter the runway, the strobes will go on. And th these are very bright lights. We generally don't taxi around with them for fear of uh, you know, blinding people. But once we're cleared onto the runway, then we'll stick them on. And these stay on throughout the flights all the way until we've landed. And again, we've vacated the runway and then we turn the strobes off. The other time we might turn them off in flight is when we're flying in cloud. Uh, these lights, as I say, are very bright and they can become quite distracting at night if you're, you're flying through cloud. You get this, um, you know, it lights up the, the area and the cloud around you. It's, it can be quite bright and a little bit distracting. So occasionally we might just turn those off if it's becoming a nuisance. And then finally, a couple of other lights that we may use. Most aircraft have what I call logo lights. These are the, the tail lights which light up the aircraft fin or tail and really the only purpose of those is advertising really to light up the logo on the tail and also of course it makes the aircraft more visible at night but that's really there just to let everyone see what uh, what airline you are what brand you are and then the other very useful light which most aircraft will have would be an ice light and this is a, a light along somewhere very near the wing and it lights up the leading edge of the wing and it's there to help you see if you've got an ice build up on the wing so if you're flying through icing conditions at night it's very hard to see if if you've got icing you might be able to see it on your windshield perhaps or on your nose or you know it depends on the aircraft a little bit but what you can do if you can see your wing from the cockpit is you can turn on the ice light which will light up the front edge the leading edge of the wing and hopefully then you'll be able to see if you've got any ice build up on the leading edge of the wing so there we go, that's just a very short description of all the lights that we have on the aircraft. In the next segment, since we're talking about lights, I might talk about the lighting signals that uh, occasionally get used as backup to radio communication. We still do have procedures in place where we can communicate with the tower, or they can communicate at us at least, by the use of lights, of coloured lights, flashing lights, steady lights, pyrotechnic lights. They're still out there and can be used, so it's important that we, we know what they are as well. So maybe I'll talk about that in the next segment. But for now, it really is getting very late. I need to get some beauty sleep, so I'm up ready in the morning. So for now, enjoy the rest of the show, and it's back to the boys in the studio. Bye for now. 
Thank you very much, Pip. As always, a fantastic segment. And he actually he done that while, well, last night whilst he was in his hotel oh, on uh, on his downtime. So uh, we oh. really do appreciate that, Pip. Oh. Don't forget you can uh, catch Pip's fantastic show, which mm. I listened to yesterday yeah, while I was uh, at work. And uh, yeah, I downloaded the uh, Plane Safety podcast, his latest episode. Yep. Uh, which was uh, which was really good. Thoroughly enjoyed yeah. that show. That he, was all he about is, uh, fuel. His he, uh, latest episode really? about fuel. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he is still doing the London Marathon. By the way, everyone. He so is. If anyone can spare a, a bit, bit of pocket change, I'm sure he'd appreciate your sponsorship. If you go to his website, uh, he has a link uh, on there as well. So if yeah, plane safety podcast. Yeah, we, we've sponsored him, and mm. uh, and if anyone else can do, because the madman is actually intending to record a segment while he's running. That that is his plan. I don't think he's going to. <laughs> I think he's mad. Um, but I think, I think we should. Or I, I think we need to just turn up there yeah. with, well, with the Tascam recorder. We'll, we'll go to Lo- <laughs> we'll go to London and record him. We'll go. We'll, we'll go and see if we can find him. But uh, I was actually thinking, you know, we should if if Pip takes his phone. Yes. Uh, we could do a Skype link, oh, and during Pip, the show. Pip could Skype in during the show. <laughs> Uh, whilst he's running, yeah, and he could do. We'll, a, we'll probably be recording. Yeah, we will be recording when yeah, he's absolutely. when he's running, and we'll, he, we'll, <laughs> we'll see if he's up for it, ladies and gentlemen. We I could, don't we, think he should be. <laughs> frankly, he may have other things to worry Pip about. Pip could but. do a live plane safety from the flight deck segment um, from the London Marathon. No, no, you're a horrible. Votes, man, get you? your votes in, people. Get your votes <laughs> oh, in no. uh, to, to if you think that Pip should do a live segment from the uh, London Marathon. So there we go. <laughs> no, no, he shouldn't. No, he should concentrate and not die. Me, let's put that. Make for a very interesting recording. It would make an yes. excellent recording. I'm not going to decry that. Anyway, yeah. Uh, so we're uh, going to we're going to move on because we need to push on here because yep, uh, obviously absolutely. Matt's got to go and uh, drive hundreds of people in his coach. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to go with the, 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 the limit is 53. Oh, right, to be fair, right. million. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, right, uh, let, let's let's get the military done. Here we go. So kicking off this week's first military news story on Flight Global site and the headline, Air Tanker Receives Penultimate Voyager Ahead of Civilian Conversion. Uh, the Air Tanker has uh, received the 13th of the Royal Air Force's Airbus and Defence Space 33200 uh, Voyager Tanker transports ahead of the planned civilian conversion of the type. Future Strategic Transport Aircraft, FSTA-13, carrying the registration Echo Charlie 332, was delivered to the RAF at Bryce Norton in Oxfordshire on the 24th of February from the manufacturer's Gidhafi in Spain. Uh, it will undergo modifications to take it from a military to a passenger carrying configuration. The activity should be complete later this spring, at which point it will be added to the civilian register as Golf Victor Yankee Golf Mike. It will then be available for commercial leasing from August, Air Tanker says, providing last-minute availability for airlines. Notably, work that is expected uh, to take place on the aircraft include additional seating that will take its capacity from uh, uh, or to 303 from the standard Voyager configuration of 291. We are pleased to have taken delivery of our latest aircraft and excited about our plans to enter the ACMI aircraft crew maintenance and insurance sub-charter market, said Neil Hudson, Air Tanker Services Aircraft Leasing Manager. 
Uh, he said that they are confident that there is a gap in the market for a good quality short notice provider of wide-bodied aircraft availability and that we can succeed in the market offering ad hoc and short-term lease capability with the A330-200 aircraft. Of the 14 voyages included in the UK's FSTA fleet, nine are in the RAF's core fleet and the other five are considered uh, surge aircraft. The late February delivery contributes to the latter. One of the five surge aircraft, registration Golf Victor Yankee Golf Kilo, was delivered to holiday provider Thomas Cook in 2015 and will be leased by the airline until 2018. The Voyager is then expected to return to military service, uh, Flight Global's fleet's analyzer database shows. The UK Strategic, uh, Strategic <laughs> Defence and Security Review published in November confirmed the fleet will be available for VIP transport provided uh, through a roll-on, roll-off system that can be applied to any of the aircraft when required. The final Voyager is still at Airbus's Getafe site near Madrid and is expected to be delivered in 2016 uh, before also being converted to a civilian configuration. Oh, wow. This is kind of this kind of always is kind of strange to me. You get the, this is obviously a, a, an aircraft that there's the RAF have, or they, they've got here for a, a tanker mm. kind of thing. It was originally designed as a as a civilian yeah. aircraft, air, air, aircraft. Um, and they're kind of putting it back to civilian use yeah. as a kind of you know as a, a quick you mm. know we need an aircraft now yeah. or we've got one yeah. here. It's Just all put yours. Some seats in it and it's ready to go. Yeah. Um, which they done these with. Uh, I mean, uh, Matty Fable done this. They done these with the TriStar, which this replaced. Right. Um, the Royal Air Force had a had a a, a tanker TriStar, and they also had a tanker, also a cargo and troop oh, transport uh, cool. version. Same yeah. aircraft. Yeah. But you know, one had the ability to 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 uh, do air to air refueling. The other one was carrying troops. What do you think of this map? You you send the Voyager, the three thirty Voyager. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm sure it'd be nice for the um, the Air Force to have their own tanker aircraft that's developed by Boeing or Airbus or somebody as a tanker, but it's just not um, it's just not uh, what's most suitable cost-wise, is it? So they just take the the passenger aircraft and convert them to as they need, and and at this one, yeah, let's lease back out to Thomas Cook rather yeah. than it sat there sort of depreciating. Yeah, get some money back in that sort of we all know the military's short of money and the state the country's in. So you know, it's, yeah. it's all about maximising the. Uh, the profitability, I suppose, of, of the equipment they've got. So I well, think it's going to be like this for a while going forward. Mm. I mean, I mean, presumably there are co there are cost benefits for all parties involved, as you mm. say, because yeah. you've got the well, as Matty's saying, that you've got the military there with a unit that, that that's sort of depreciating and, and not getting much use, and Thomas Cook who need who need an aircraft. I mean, yeah, it sort good. of makes sense. Mm. That's good. It's a good way Absolutely. of making money. Yeah, definitely. It's a good story. Next story. Yeah, Next this story. is yours, Matt. Yes, it is. This is on Flight Global as well. Oh, I like this one. The headline is the new. Now, it described to me how I pronounce new is it ii it's the illusion 76 Il right the new illusion 76 military transport carries out its maiden flight a more modern variant of the illusion uh, 76 uh, military transport has carried out its first test flight from Zukovsky in Russia, uh, according to the manufacturer. This variant of the four-engined transport includes modifications to the flight, navigation, radio communication, and lighting systems, and has replaced obsolete, ob obsolete, obsolete. I was right, obsolete parts uh, to keep the aircraft viable for 40 years. United Aircraft Corporation says the modernisation project was conducted by the company in accordance with the tactical and technical requirements issued by the military space uh 
forces of the Russian Federation, as it says. Performed under the command of the Aleutian chief pilot, um, whose name I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce, the debut flight uh, is said <laughs> to have gone normally, which I guess must be a good sign. Uh, early this month, uh, the company will celebrate 35 years uh, since... Um, uh, 35 years since the uh, 76MD carried out its maiden flight, 10 years after the baseline 76M was flown for the very first time. United Aircraft says 10 variants of the... Um there we go. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't realise. Sorry, Matt. Matt. I got the wrong the camera. camera. I'd left the wrong camera on. I'm so sorry. It's because they were all both. We're both called Matt in my defence, and I pressed the wrong button. The United Aircraft says seven, ten variants of the t- the of the uh, Lucian family uh, are of aircraft are in development, including the 76 MD 90A, a re-engined version of the Russian government, uh, and is, is acquiring 39 of under a 2012 agreement. The type first flew in 2014 and the first example was handed over a year later. The third example was handed over on the 27th of January. A new version of the tanker variant, the 78MD90A, is also in development and the company said in December that it it was in the process of joining the wing to the fuselage. That's always a very important job to, to, to do. The production plant planned to complete the first aircraft and begin testing this year. It added Flight Global's fleet analyzer database shows that there are 169 of the 76 MDs in service with 65 more in storage while 20 of the 78s and 19 of the 78 M's are also operational. On the 11th of February intensive flights of the upgraded uh, 38N anti-submarine warfare aircraft also began uh, at the Pacific Fleet Naval Air Base in Elzivo Elzivo in Russia. Uh, The N variant of the type benefits from an upgraded search sensor, the company says, and can carry out patrol tasks and search for and counter submarines. The manufacturer has received two contracts from the Russian Defence Ministry to phase the upgrade of its 19-strong fleet of 38s to this standard, the first of which was delivered in 2014. So the Aleutian 76, yep. um, this is quite, well, I didn't realise quite how many of these have been built, yeah. but uh, there's been 900, 960 of these built. Oh, wow. Um, they're quite a, a, well, a well-built Russian transport uh, aircraft, four engines, and uh, they first flew in 1971. Wow. It was quite a few years ago, introducing the service in 1974. Yeah. And... Um, I think the upgrades they've done to these, they've uh, they've upgraded because if you've ever seen some cockpit photos of the original Illusion 76, mm. that is literally just like masses and really? masses of dials. Okay, right. of lo- or, or what we'd like to uh, say as steam gauges, as right. Matty Fab okay. would sort of know what um, <laughs> Yes, I know it's in the chat room. Know what I mean? There's there's no actual steam then. No, no, no. no. Okay. Um, so what they've what they've done, I think, because you, you you have my interest at steam. I, I, I love know, steam, I, steam I trains and all that kind of thing. Now we're talking. No, I, I wouldn't <laughs> want to see smoke coming out of the. Uh, uh, no, no. Good, no. Yeah, no good but point, they've yeah. they put the um, glass, the the and the, the liquid critical, the LCD displays and yep. stuff. They've put on the flight decks of this to to try and mm. um, bring the uh, the flight deck up to date. Right. But uh, these are these are. I didn't realise these uh, have also these particular aircraft. They've been used for um, fire fighting so they've got the ability to to drop water right. on fires yep. and also uh, just reading up as well on these the 76s have also been used for zero g training which Ooh. is where they put the aircraft into a steep dive uh-huh. and you become weightless inside and oh, they use it wow. for that you know, <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They, um, which is quite cool, cool. absolutely yeah 
So, Matty Fab, the last story is all yours. Okay, then. So, oh, actually, the next flight story, global <laughs> website. Um, the retired UH-60As could have a big commercial future. So, a Sikorsky UH-60 Black Hawk might see an out-of-place at a commercial helicopter convention, but several companies were present at this year's Heli Expo touting modifications and mission kits for the retired U.S. Army Air models, as they are a potentially huge supply, uh, huge supply of feeder aircraft. Robertson Fuel Systems debuted its conformal auxiliary fuel system on a BHI-2-owned H-60. I hope that means more to you than it does to me. The modification pushes the commercially designated S-70s range out by 124 nautical miles, or adds 75 minutes of endurance. Arista Aviation, a maintenance repair and overall company in Enterprise, Alabama, is known for restoring former US government-owned Bell UH-1 Hueys for commercial customers and is now pushing Black Hawks as the Army sheds hundreds of their models in favour of the latest Sikorsky UH-60M. Arista Vice President of Sales Bob, uh, Rob Lee says acquiring new Black Hawks would be too expensive for many military and commercial users. A more cost-effective means is to buy A models at auction and have a third-party maintenance provider like his bring them up to flight-worthy status, simultaneously adding modifications like auxiliary fuel tanks, sensors and hoists. We feel that a UH-60A is a viable alternative or replacement for a UH-1 in service with foreign militaries, Lee says. The pools of aircraft that will be retired from the Army numbers, uh, in the Army, sorry, numbers in the several hundred range, so there is an adequate supply that exists. Timbaland Helicopters is offering similar services, but primarily for the commercial utility market. Timberline's upgrade received, federal U, uh, received U.S. Federal Aviation Administration certification last week, which includes conversion to the latest GE Aviation T700-701D engines that power the Army's M-variant, says mm. Stephen Johnson, the business director at Sandpoint. Um, it, it acquired two Blackhawks in 2014, with one displayed at Heli Expo. Timberline removed about 408 kilograms from its H60s and installed new avionics panels as part of the upgrade work. Mm. We tried to produce an aircraft that a utility operator is going to want, like us, says Johnson. We made the aircraft we wanted. In fact, this aircraft goes to work as soon as it leaves here. Timberline also operates two Cayman K-Max utility helicopters, which can carry a 2,720kg payload, compared with the Black Hawk's 3,930kg. Wow. So, it seems they've got some use for these old Black Hawk helicopters that can you imagine um, these drop in it out to military use. I know, in commercial use, these would be... Awesome helicopters yeah, for commercial use. The Black yeah. Horses are really, really mega mm. powerhouses yeah. and uh, really well-built aircraft. Um, most of you have probably seen the film Black Hawk Down and that. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, and the stuff. Even I've seen that Even film. you've seen that. <laughs> but, um, no, they, I mean, to see one of these Black Hawks being, if it was used in mm. kind of, you know, in a, in a commercial sense, yeah. that would be, uh, even even that might even make me want to learn to fly a helicopter. Whoa. Oh Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. No, I'm joking, Matty. Don't don't <laughs> panic. <laughs> if it ain't got wings, I ain't going right, anywhere. Okay. Um, oh. Bit of a fixed wing enthusiast, are we? Oh yeah, yeah. I <laughs> prefer to have bits sticking out each side of me. Right. Rather okay. than nothing yes. nothing at all. I suppose all. at least you can glide if something goes wrong. No. So the trouble is if if, some, if the gearbox goes or something on these helicopters, they just literally drop out of the sky, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> literally yeah literally unfortunately yeah there's no gliding um, <laughs> potential yeah. so one last story then um there we go on flight global site yep. 
and the Boeing's second KC-46 Alpha achieves first flight. So Boeing's second functional KC-46A has joined the fledgling Pegasus fleet as the U.S. Air Force's next-generation tanker program advances towards uh, a production decision by the Pentagon in April or May. Hello, Alfie. <laughs> Someone has come to the door. Alfie, there we go. Yeah. Just proves that we are live. <laughs> we are genuinely live. <laughs> Alfie, please. We're doing a show I, here. I think there might be someone at the door. That's why That's why the burger alarm has just gone off. Uh, <laughs> oh, blimey, Alfie. We're going to have to get him on the show. Yeah. Anyway, the fourth <laughs> engineering and manufacturing development EMD aircraft took flight from Boeing's Painfield in Washington State on the 2nd of March and landed a while later at Boeing's field in Seattle. The company announced a flight in a joint statement today and confirmed that the second 767-200 or 2C aircraft, the EMD-3, used for the FAA and military type certification will join the tanker program in April and uh, adding a second aircraft tanker to the test flight program is very important and as a move into the next phase of flight testing US Air Force's K-46 system service uh, program, uh, program manager Colonel John Newbury said the team will initially use the aircraft to test mission systems avionics and exterior lighting and later it will share the air-to-air -air refueling effort with the first KC-46 Hello, Alfie. <laughs> Adding the second fully configured tanker will help Boeing move through uh, receiver certification for 18 aircraft types, and the K-46 has already demonstrated functionality with the Lockheed Martin F-16, Boeing F-18, and also refueling from a Boeing KC-10. Boeing says its first 767-2C EMD-1 that first flew in December 2014 has completed more than 260 test uh, flight test hours. And the program's first KC-46A tanker made its maiden flight on the 25th of September 2015 and has now completed more than 150 flight test hours, Boeing has said. Uh, the uh, KC-46 uh, is based on the 767. Yeah, hang on. Just leave that picture there. We'll just bring we, that uh, up. There we go. There we go. There we go. There based on the 767. And yeah. uh, I flew home on one of those from um, <laughs> from Minneapolis. Tony S says Alfie barks a lot of sense. He does bark yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of these, then, Matt? Uh, the uh, KC forty six. Okay, right. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> he, he, like, he, li he likes a tanker. You know, the airplane geeks always talk tankers. Yeah. Military aircraft. I'll be honest. It's. Uh, it's oh. there, but yeah. It, uh, it's yeah, good though. It's, it, do you think it's good though? That it, it's yeah, it's, it should do well for them. Multi-uses for passenger yeah, aircraft. Absolutely. It actually, stops them from going to the desert anyway to actually, be retired. All jokes aside, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the one thing that, because as I say, the, 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 I know nothing about aeroplanes. We co we cover this on a regular basis. Um, and, <laughs> and Carl and and, and and Matty and everyone else who regularly contributes to the show, they know lots about commercial aircraft. But the one thing we're desperate for, really, is somebody who really knows their military aircraft. Mm. So if there's anybody out there who would be interested in being involved in the show who knows about military please do uh, get in touch with the show podcast at plaintalkinguk.com because uh, uh, as i say it, it would be handy to just have someone who might be able to sort of fill us in on on areas of military that that um, yes. you know because it's all very well reading the story out but you know where where carl is on commercial and you're able to commercial. do a bit of research i'm, I'm like no fab i'm a commercial yeah, man absolutely yeah. um but uh, you know we, we'd like to do the, the military side of things more justice uh, in future podcasts if we can but uh, Anyway, sorry, yes. So we'll bring that <laughs> segment to a close yes, for this absolutely. week. Um, but uh, obviously, as uh, as you know, we have got a 
Matt's looking at me worried. What, what are you fiddling We have with? got a special guest, <laughs> oh, uh, guest host on the show this week, yes. and uh, Matty Fab has very, uh, very nicely joined us today to yes. give us a hand. So we're, we're going to run a little quick, uh, or run a little segment now, and we're going to call it uh, Grill the Fab. So there we go. Yes, uh, dear. <laughs> Did you dear, like that? What on earth? Oh. I'm now getting worried. Yeah, <laughs> dear listeners, I can only apologise. I'm going to take his effects box away from him. At some point, <laughs> you honestly. love it, really. You do love it, really. <laughs> honestly. <clears throat> so those those of you in the chat room, uh, if you've got any questions regarding uh, uh, or learning to fly and PPLs and ATPLs yep, and stuff, um, yeah, feel free to pass them on to Matty Fab. So yep. Matt, how how's the flying going anyway? Uh, it's not at the minute with this rubbish weather. It's, it's been very hard to get up there, um, and I fly from a grass airstrip. So it's <laughs> log a little bit, so it's, it's yeah. not been ideal. So I'm not flown now for it's knocking on a good part three, four weeks. So yeah. I'm, I'm ready for this blue sky to start coming over, <laughs> so I can get up there and do some flying. Right. So when are you moving abroad then? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> blue been nice sky. It, but, uh, so you passed your Matt. You passed your PPL earlier uh, this year, didn't you? Uh, I passed it in October, last, the end of October, last year. Sorry, October, yeah. Yep. And you're now studying for your ATPL? I am, yes. Yeah, I've got some of the books here, which is... Okay, it's, hang on. Sorry, what is AP... Sorry, what, what is that? <laughs> Will that, Matt, so, explain? Yeah, so come on. Come on, Matt. The air transport pilot's licence. So that's oh, basically right. what you need to be able to do a proper pilot's job, if you like, like pilot oh, cool. paper and like, right. uh, you okay. know, Captain Jeff, etc. Yep. flying the passengers round. Okay, cool. Okay, dokie. So, uh, so how how intense is that um, compared to the normal just PPL? Um, I'm guessing crazily, it's lots yeah, of stuff. it's it's basically the same subjects, but a lot lot more in depth. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know the PPL stuff. When I was sub, uh, studying that, I was thinking, my line, this is quite hard, but uh, it really takes up the weather and the aerodynamics and stuff into a whole different depth, which is it's frighteningly complex but it's, it's stuff you need to know because you, you know you're flying if you are flying two three four hundred people up in the sky and something goes wrong it's no good sort of knowing that the wings make me fly and the engines push me along you need to sort of understand how they work and you know to be able to adapt to anything that goes wrong and understand the aerodynamics and understand the engine and the, the air, airframe system so you can sort out any issues which hopefully you'll never have to use that knowledge but you need to be able to understand it and um, be able to apply it if the need you know comes along so mm. what what's the, what is the plan then? Uh, obviously, to build, you've got to build your hours up and stuff before you can um, before a lot of airlines will take you on. Is that the, is that the kind of uh, thing you're going to try and build your hours up doing flying in other areas? Because I know a lot. It, it is. I mean, the way I've always set it out, I've always wanted to be a pilot, but now I'm I'm 32. I'm not 30, I'm 31. 31. <laughs> 31. Uh, Wait, sorry, I'm older, yeah. <laughs> so I'm 31. I've got. I'm married. I've got two little boys. So it would be the easiest option for me to go to America. Yeah. And one of these sort of ab initio training programs and and sort of do it in two years, get everything done, and get my ATPL at the end of it. Mm. But um, you, know, you know, with a family and what have you, I can't really do that. So what, what the way I'm looking at it is, I've got my PPL. I'm going to do my flying and enjoy it, building the hours as I go along, studying for the ATPLs. As I go along doing the exams, as I'm, I'm ready to do them, add on the ratings, the night rating, the instrument rating, um, the twin engine rating, and building the hours. And then when I come to a point where I've sort of got them qualifications, I'm ready to do my commercial license, I've got the ATPLs passed, and I'm at a reasonable number of hours. Uh, then at that point, and then I'll, I'll sort of sit down and have a serious look at what's the best option mm. to get me sort of either into an airline or a, a you yeah. know a, a, a private business plane kind of thing. 
Cool. Um, and see what that takes. And rather than saying, right, I want to be a pilot, I'm going to set everything out and become a pilot in X amount of years, mm. I'm doing it as a hobby yeah. with the end goal to hopefully become an airline pilot rather than setting out this is my life goal. Yeah. So I've got a job. I've got, you know, yeah. you know, we, we run the pub as well and stuff like that. So yeah. I have got other commitments which I can't leave and go and no. do the ideal situation. But um, if I see it that way, I'll enjoy it more as well. Rather than putting pressure on myself to sort of pass the exams and to do this test and that test and this test, I can go out in the next two or three years and, and enjoy the flying and go fly yeah. around and hopefully yeah. I'm going to come down and fly see you guys. Because every hour counts. Mm. You know, and just en enjoy yeah. it. It's what it's all about, really. So up I there, as Carlos knows, when you're up there on your own or... or you, I took my um, my five year old out flying um, a few cool. weeks ago, and nothing I feel prouder than being able to take my five year old up, me and him flying an airplane around. I mean, yeah, it was very magical. cool, isn't it? So yeah, uh, actually, that's what I'm taking. You, you you touched on the subject very briefly, so I'm going to bring up the horrible discussion of money, and and Carlos is going to roll his eyes at me because I, I think he's he feels a similar pain. And in fact, uh, Neville bounds in the chat room and says, "Can I ask a PPL question, Carlos and Matt, uh, to get from your first instructed flight to your first um, to your first solo? How much did it actually cost you? I mean, just oh, a just a ballpark figure." Uh, and he says uh, he does say you are allowed to fib a little bit if your wives or girlfriends are watching. I um, can't remember. I think because <laughs> I started training years ago. I mean, if I added the money on from when I started when I was twenty-one, mm. I mean, I'm thirty. I'm forty. Forty this year. Yeah, forty. I'll four be forty zero. this year. Oh, four dear. zero in August. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think how much roughly that cost me to go went up from to go so yeah. low. I mean, I'm just talking ballpark figures. I mean, so, so uh, anybody who's listening, who's who would love to sort of uh, you know get get sort of flying and be able to take to hire an aircraft and go out and do their own thing. Um, I mean, is it is it the same like in in the fact that you, you do all your things and you have to do something else in order to be able to take passengers? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, Matt, uh, obviously, Matty Fab can take passengers on yeah. his own, whereas I'm, I have to take an instructor with right, me at the moment okay. until you've passed. Okay. Um, but I can fly solo, obviously. I fly yeah. on my own. Yeah, um, but that's not as much fun. I don't know. I mean, I, I can't off the top of my head. Uh, I can't think how much it, it, it was. You know, until I went solo, how much it it cost up till then. I mean, it, it it's below a thousand pounds. Yeah. Um, Matty Fab, any any ideas you're in? I mean, in raw costs, I suppose it took me. I think I've talking about about fifteen hours to go solo. So fifteen right. and the times that, and it's it was one hundred twenty pound an hour. So that's yeah. eighteen hundred pound. Right. Just in raw figures. Yeah, but to, yeah. To go solo, you've got to pass, or at least at my flying school, your air law exam exactly, and yeah. your operational procedures exams. So you've got to obviously get the books and the the materials and study for them, which is obviously a cost. Yeah. The exam fees, which I think were forty, fifty pound each for the PPL exams, so that's another hundred pound. You've got to have your class two medical yep, to fly right. solo, yep. so that's yep. I think that was I can't yep. remember now, well over a hundred pound for that. Exactly. Mind you, even I have to have that as a coach driver. You have to pass yep. a, a stringent medical before they'll let you carry passengers and things like that. So that that that's kind of to be expected. So it's uh, now it's, I'm, I'm going to sit here and ask all the questions because oh, because this applies to both of you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm going to ask, this is a great question from Tony here. He says, um, uh, uh, what, what has been the most challenging part of your training? So what's the bit that has been the hardest, if you like, to get into your head uh, with regard to, is it the flying, is it the exam side of things? What, I mean, what, what, what's it's the hardest exam. bit? For me, I'm it's like, definitely exams. It's definitely, yeah. but I'm going to ask, ask Matty Fab first. Um, I mean, there's a few challenges along the way. You get to certain points in your training where it's, it's kind of do or die, like your, your first solo, your first sort of exam. Um, yes, the exams were hard um, and challenging, and as I was ready to sit the LR exam, I was kind of 
oh, this is this is tough, this is tough. Yeah. Then I did it, you know, I got hundred percent, not showing off, but it, yeah. it's it's easier once you sat there than you think I think you panic yourself into mm. doing it. And then when it was coming up to my to my first solo, I was thinking, oh really, what happens from up there? And you just run all the sort of oh I do anyway, run the um the negative things through your brain, what'll happen rather than taking the positives out of it. So there's mm. there's points along the way where I thought Oh, is it for me? Is it for me? Is it for me? Mm. But listening to podcasts like yours, and I listened to Captain Jeff for years and yeah. years, and I sent him questions and asking about his first solo and, and stuff like that. And, and the aviation community is, is so small and, and a tight knit group. Yeah. The encouragement I got, it kind of got me through that. So mm. there, there are challenges along the way. You know, I'm panicking about my first solo, my first solo navigation. What happens if I get lost? My first solo, the cross country flyaway solo. Mm. If I, you know, flew into yeah. East Midlands airspace or, or got yeah. lost, or they, <laughs> they, there are a lot of challenges, but you've got to overcome them, and, mm. and then. Once once you've done them, um, you feel so proud and, and so happy. It, it, mm. it's, it was magical for me. I mean, loved yeah. it, but uh, it is challenging, but yeah. you, you I do mean, have I, to sort of overcome. I mean, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn here, but I know um, me and Carl were talking before we started, and, and, and you, you are finding it really hard yeah. now, aren't you? Yeah, I am finding it really hard. Yeah, absolutely. It's the actual flying thing for you. Is, the, is Yeah, the flying is... I mean, I've, I've said this to many people. Fly, mm. Flying is... I'm not just saying this because... I know. It, it is easy. Flying is e- flying's easy. Yeah. Not the to pra- me. The okay. practical, <laughs> the practical side of, of yeah. flying a, a Cessna 150, for instance, say yeah. what I fly, it is it, you know you get in it, you do your checklists, you check the aircraft out first, check, you know get in, do your checklist, yeah. you know call you, make your calls, taxi, mm. take off, fly around a circuit, land. Mm. That to me is easy. You know, I, yeah. I can do that. I can sit there all day and do that. <laughs> um, the the learning that you know taking absorbing i mean i'm i'm at the stage where i'm doing you know the the navigation side of thing and that and mm. i'm just yeah it's not easy no it's not uh, just, easy. just just backtracking slightly tony s has asked um uh, which again is a another valid question what, what so what you get to a stage where you can fly solo why why can't you then take passengers what 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 is the next bit that's in why why think, why does it change i think it's part it's part of the the law i think is that matt you, you can't take yeah, yeah, passengers you've got to your license until somewhere. you've got your Basically, license when you're flying solo at the minute carlos when you go flying solo your instructor signs you out so yeah. you are actually flying on his or her license right. like okay so if anything goes wrong yeah. It's down to them. They they have authorised you to fly out. So to fly with passengers, you, you've got to have your own um, be, yeah. your own license, and you've got to do a, um, a certain number of landings and takeoffs within the preceding ninety days as well. So yeah. you, you've got to be a current flyer. You can't just not fly for two years. You've got a license. Then go and take a family. You've you've got to then do a bit of flying to keep you current. It's all about safety. I mean, what, you know, you fly on yourself. If something goes wrong, yeah, it's not good. But if you're flying other innocent parties, then obviously, mm. yeah, yeah. This, this is the thing. I mean, and certainly, I can say it's, it's not exactly a, 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 an exact comparison, but I know um, in the coach driving world here in the UK, you have to you have to fit under the category of what they call a professional driver now. And if you don't keep your, um, although although you keep the ability to drive coaches on your license, if you don't renew uh, your CPC part of it within a five year period, you actually lose the right to be able to take passengers. Um, and it's presumably sim- similar to 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 what what you guys have to do uh, once you get past the the solo element to it. Uh, Stuart has actually asked yeah, um, short backer. Yeah. Well, welcome into onto the yeah. Uh, onto actually, the you this one. Short backer. Yeah. Uh, he's asked a question, uh, Matty. That uh, you're ta- He says here that you're taking it slowly, rating by rating. Aren't you worried that at a certain point in time you have to dedicate most of your energy and money to staying current on all those ratings? Um, yeah, it's a good point, but. Uh, Yes and no. So 
The way I'm going to do it is night rating first, which doesn't expire once you've got it, so that's not a problem. Mm. And the multi-engine rating, which again I don't think expires, so that's not a problem. Mm. The only one that's going to expire is the instrument rating. Mm. But instrument rating. I'm yeah. not 100% sure on what you need to keep that current, but once I get to the point where I've got the hours up and I've done the instrument rating, mm. I will be at the point where I'm pretty much ready. I'll have done my ATPL, so that's part of you have to do the exam as part of the instrument rating. I'll be ready to sort of go at it full guns and start applying for jobs, flying yeah. planes, because I'll have a commercial license by then. Or you, you do it as part of your commercial license, right. your, your CPL and your IR combined. So, so yes, good point, but the way I'm doing it, I'll do it slowly. The instrument rating is the one that will sort of expire. Yeah. But at that point, I will be on top of everything else and ready to go at it full guns blazing. Well, uh, maybe maybe you reach a point, essentially, where you've got to try these different type ratings before you perhaps decide what sort of route you want to go down, maybe what aircraft you want to, to fly. I mean, because at least, it, I mean, doing the different type ratings gives you an opportunity to fly different aircraft and see yeah. which one you like the most, perhaps. Yeah, I don't think you need type ratings. That's like what you need to get to fly a 737 or an A320. I think the the ratings are, your night ratings are rating, your instrument ratings are rating. Right, I see. Um, You've got to have the instrument rating and your commercial license, which is what you need to keep current to be able to fly the planes and the passengers anyway. He's also asked as well, uh, Matty, that uh, he said that are you planning to become an instructor to reverse the money flow a bit? Which is actually, that's a good yeah. question because I know a few pilots who have done that, yeah, have passed absolutely. their PPL and then continued on to get their CFI yeah. and then to, to build their hours up to then yep. go to the airlines as yeah. such. So is, is that sort of an option that you've looked into at all, Matty, that the CFI kind of instructor kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think whether I go and do instructing or not, I'm going to do the instructor's course because mm-hmm. I think it gives you a, a deeper understanding of the whole subject when you're taught how to teach other people it rather than be the person that's taught it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I'll do the instructor rating. Um, but yeah, again, because like I said, um, I've got the pub and I've got the job and the family, Yeah. instructors don't get paid that much. So it's no. something I'll probably look at and maybe do it to weekends or part-time hmm. um, at the local flying school. So, yes, I, I would like to do that because I think you, you learn more about flying when you're yeah. teaching other people how to do it rather than being the person that's been taught, hmm. if that makes sense. Well, so, and yes. it encourages you to maybe sort of stay stay on top of and current of legislation. Mind you, I suppose you've got to do that anyway, stay on top of legislation and yeah. and, and, and that as well. So another question on from the chat room for you, uh, Matty Fab. From Tony S, and uh, he's uh, he's asked that uh, here we go. Put you on the spot here. If you could be a captain on any airline, what airline would you be captain with, and what plane would you choose to fly? <laughs> um, well, first of all, guys, come on, Tony's <laughs> a she. Keep doing this. Um, but uh, I've always had a thing. I've I always fancied flying the Flybe Dash Eight. I don't know why. They're one of my favourite aeroplanes, so I wouldn't mind flying them, sort of hopping around the UK. But, uh, I mean, my goal at the minute is set on Jet 2, flying the 737s. I know they've just ordered the new... Oh, yeah. We've got a lot of new 737 Maxes and 8s mm. coming on. They're local to me up at Leeds Bradford Airport, and they kind of... I've, I've spoke to them before. They they like to take on local guys, if you like. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not the kind of person that wants to get into an A380 and go flying to Dubai and Singapore and stuff like this. I'm quite happy... In a 737 or an A320 doing the European trips, so, you know, mm. EasyJet, Ryanair, yeah. Jet 2, people like that, but yeah. I think I prefer to fly a Boeing than an Airbus. Right, so, good choice. Although I like EasyJet <laughs> better than Ryanair, so it's, yeah, if EasyJet had Boeings, yeah. they'd mm. probably be my choice, cause, but, uh, 
And I, I'm very disappointed to discover that uh, that they still haven't come up with their counter slogan yet, have they? Because if it ain't no. Boeing, I ain't going. You know, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, Airbus it's haven't come up with a similar thing, have they? So uh, some some very rich, <laughs> somebody could make themselves very rich if they could come up with a counter slogan to that. <laughs> True, yeah. Um, but I mean, saying that, if I get to the point when I've got all my ratings and I'm ready to get a job and EasyJet come and say, you can come and fly one of our brand new yep. shiny A320s, mm -hmm. I wouldn't say no, thank you. Let's put it that way. Uh -huh. How about the <laughs> how about the regionals, Matt? Would you would you try the Would you like to fly sort of go with one of the regional carriers in the in the UK for sort of flybees and that? Absolutely, yeah. Like I said, the, the flybee dash eights, I'd love to fly those. Mm. But, you know, move up until they've got the Embraer one seventies, one seventy fives. Another local airline to me is Eastern Airlines. Who oh yeah. Jet two, I know, uses a, a kind of a feeder. Mm. They pinch a lot of their pilots to start off on the little jet streams and, and as such and move up to the 737. So absolutely, I mean, I'd be happy flying a job, sort of pipeline survey, ordnance survey, you know, getting paid to fly. You know, I'm not in it yeah. for the money. I know you get big money when you're a captain and, and yeah. you can move up and earn the six-figure sums, but yeah. it's a passion for me. So for somebody to actually pay me to go flying, yeah. you know, a, a reasonable wage... I'd be over the moon. I'm not in it for the money. I'm in it for the uh, the, the passion. The, the flying of, yeah. Exactly. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, I, I always ask this question. Uh, uh, I know you're very early on in your flying career, hopefully. Um, have you had any, um, well, I'm going to say hiccups. Oh, he's going to ask, gonna gonna ask, ask yeah. that question. <laughs> I'm going to ask that question. Have you had any hiccups? Have you had any flights that you really would like to forget so far? I, I mean, I know you, I know you've, I know Carla's got one in his, in his thing, but he's not allowed to, to say much, I don't think yet. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But uh, have you had any, um, uh, slightly uh, terrifying experiences, shall we say, uh, in, in your early career yet? Um, we've had some interesting flights. I think one of my first um, navigation flights, but with an instructor, we were flying with winds aloft to sort of 50 and 60 knots. And when you're flying in a little Cessna 150, that really does bump you around. So that was eye-opening into the navigation world with the plane sort of bumping up and down really? and dropping, and, you know, three, 400 feet at a time. Oh, um, <laughs> I'm feeling sick just thinking about it. <laughs> no. <laughs> On my qualifying cross-country solo, set off, the forecast was lovely. Um, we flew from Netherthorpe, where I'm based, down to Leicester Airfield near East Midlands, which was a turning point, then I overcrossed to Peterborough. As I turned from Leicester to Peterborough, I could see the weather was coming in and the clouds were coming down. Yeah. Um, and I, I got to the point where I thought, right, if this gets any worse, I'm going to turn around and scrap it, which luckily it didn't. But when you're flying on your own, you're thinking, blimey, then clouds are looking dark and it's coming in. and So, so that was eye-opening. Yeah. I, I think... Well, I should say this or not, but the scariest thing I've done was when I was doing the, the circuit training. Um, <laughs> so I took off, no problem, going round. On the downwind leg, you do your bump finch uh, checks. Yeah, bump finch. <laughs> yeah. Um, so brakes off, undercarriage down, mixture switch, blah, blah, blah. I got to the car beat check, pulled the car beat, or so I thought, and I actually pulled the mixture. Ooh. Oh, blimey. So the engine went, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. so luckily, I, I, I don't know why I did it, and I was looking at it, and I, I got it in my hand, looked at it, pulled it, and only for a split second, and pushed obviously straight back in, and there was no issues, <laughs> but the engine just had, just skipped that beat. Yeah. And I'll tell you what. I bet your heart was in your mouth, I bet, yeah. I, I, I landed, got out of the plane, yeah. and I think I, I was shaking. For oh, I went through up I, somewhere, yeah. Really, it learnt me a lesson, you know, a lot to... You, you get comfortable, even as, as a student yep. and, as a, and as a young mm. pilot, you, you get sort of comfortable and think you know it all. And I'm not saying I was that kind of person and I did no. that, but when you're in circuit training, as Carl's gone through, you, yep. you've got to spend so many hours in the circuit, so you do like yeah. you know, 100, 200 times up and down, up and down, up and down, going the same thing, and it starts to become second nature, yep. which is mm. a really bad thing for airline pilots, which is why they, they design the cockpit's not to be like that, and you know, everything feels different, looks different, but just a simple thing like that, if I'd have pulled that out mm. any further or not looked at it, 
and the engine stopped and I not realised what I'd done and, and, and you know, I could have panicked. Yeah. Our circuit height is only 800 mm. foot, so from 800 mm. feet, you haven't wow. got long to sort of yeah, react to like, yeah. land, if you like. So. Yeah, ours is 1,000. Our, our circuit height is 1,000 feet at our aerodrome. Yeah, they are a lot of places, but our yeah. um, ATZ is actually within the Doncaster-Sheffield airport's airspace. Oh, right. Oh, wow. Their airspace above us starts at 2,000 foot. Okay. So to give 1,000 yeah. foot separation, yeah. we have to be to 800 foot. Feet, so yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. And that our overhead's at 1,800 foot. Otherwise, wow. if our overhead was at 2,000 foot, we'd be in their airspace. So it's, yeah. it's wow. a funny little airfield. But, yeah. And you say it's all grass as well. There's no uh, asphalt part of your runway. No, no, it's all grass. We've got uh, two runways, 06 and 24, and 1836. Um, and I think 1836 is the shortest licensed runway in the UK as well. Wow. So when you're learning to sort of take up and land on that, it's very interesting when you're heading towards a hedge at the end and you're sort of only at 40, 50 knots, you've got to, it's, you've got to have favourable winds or you won't get up. But yeah, no, it's, it's all good. Yeah, we've got uh, zero 09 and 27 mm. uh, at the airfield at Ellerow where yeah. I fly. You and, do have um, a bit of concrete at least. Yeah, we've, we've got uh, a fairly half decent size because it, it was an original, originally an old uh, World War II um, our, yeah, Royal Air Force base mm. at, uh, where I am. So there's, there's still, there's still sort of a, a half decent size part of, uh, of, you know, an asphalt runway left, yeah. and there's also a grass part to it as well, uh, which at the moment is very much not in use because it's absolutely <laughs> very wet. Yes, <laughs> um, but our, all our taxiway where the aircraft uh, taxi onto in front of where the control room is is all, is all grass, and that is again extremely boggy right now because yeah, of the weather yeah. we're having. Mm. Um, I mean, I was up there last week, and there was uh, a Cessna one nine five. He's he familiar with the 195 Matty yeah yep, yep. yeah there's a Cessna 195 which uh, is owned by uh, a chap who flies in he's called the judge actually his Ooh. name he's <laughs> uh, oh and he flies in regularly and uh, he, he'd flown in taxied up and uh, he's not going anywhere for a while because mm. it's bogged in to the, <laughs> really? to the yeah to the uh, mud can you not just sort of, oh, it, it's a bit hard to pull out <laughs> yeah I can imagine yeah where, yeah. where, where would you attach the tow rope That's yeah, you, it, yeah. The, the, I mean the Cessna one his, his uh, aircraft the 195 is, mm. is such a gorgeous aircraft to see yep. up close and uh, yeah he's bogged in and mm. it, it's purely because you know yeah. the, the ground is so so waterlogged mm. right now yeah, yeah um, it's, it's and, not good know, I mean luckily with the, the sort of the taxiway um, which leads off from taxiway alpha which leads off from the, the main runway is is all concrete as well and the uh, the refueling area is uh, is on a matting a, a kind of a, a rubber hard rubber matting that goes on the grass so you can you can refuel the aircraft right but it just makes for um yeah, interesting taxing if you do decide to go on the grass. Yeah. But, um, I mean, our runway is it's reinforced with that sort of rubber. It's like grating underneath the grass that yeah, yeah, goes through. Yeah. So it does get boggy, but not too bad. But you just when it's wet, yeah. it's waterlogged, it just makes it so mm. slippery. If you land, if it's crosswind, you're landing sort of crabbing a little bit. Mm. When you land, it, it does get a skate on sideways, which is obviously the last thing you want when you land in an aeroplane. But And of course, uh, of course it has been... What I've always said is... When I, uh, Going back to, sort of, I think it was Tony's question earlier, that one of the, the challenging things through flying is we've been a grass airfield and up in Yorkshire because it's beautiful up here. It's full of fields yeah. and it's all green. Nobody disagrees with so, you. Sort of spotting, spotting the airfield from flying, I used to really struggle with it when I, when I first started flying. And I used to think, you know, the instructor said, right, the, air, the airfield's in front of you. I couldn't see it at all. <laughs> and I used to think, I'm never going to be able to find this. And I actually looked, <laughs> I was going to start learning to fly at Doncaster Sheffield. I thought, well, you, can't, you can't miss a two and a half mile concrete runway. <laughs> You'd but, be surprised. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose so. But um, I, I think it has learnt me. Um, you know, I'm glad I did it because, like I say, with the short runways, 
and it being grass, I've had to learn through my training short field mm. and soft field take for landings. That's all I've done. Yeah. So when I went on my cross country, I landed at Peterborough Connington. I landed up at Wickenby, which are concrete old airfield air, air force bases. Mm. It, it were uh, what's the not swearing word? Very easy yeah. <laughs> to spot and land and operate from concrete runways when I've been used to the short, soft, yeah. and I thought grass. So I think it, it's taught me good skills, and yeah. I'm grateful for it. Absolutely. Very so good. come on, we've got two more questions. The usual two questions. If you could fly any aircraft in the entire world, from we'll we'll go with any any aircraft in history. Any aircraft in history, flying or not flying. Which aircraft would you most love to have been in the cockpit of? Oh, uh, there it is. Yeah, he's pointing behind oh. him. And for those listening on the <laughs> old... Vulcan, yeah. For those listening, yeah, sorry. Yeah, the, uh, those who are listening, Vulcan. it is the legendary Vulcan, which, yeah, of course, our Vulcan. 100th was done from the cockpit yeah. of, which was amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. And, and if, we go, if we go the other way then, so if we go, like, commercial-wise, what is the aircraft that you would most love to to fly um, that, that's sort of functioning uh, and, and in the air at the moment? If, if you could pick any aircraft that's in the air at the Commercially, moment, yeah. which one would you love to fly the most? Um, well, like I said before, I've always had a, a soft spot for the, the Q400-8s that fly BUs yeah. or 737. I'm, I'm not, like I said, you know, I, I'd love to have a go in a 777 or a, an A380, but I'm happy. I, I like the 737s and, and the Dash 8, so... We'll see Miami Rick them. see what he can sort yeah. out for you. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Mm. Come on, Rick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say, my, mine would probably be this. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, the TriStar's not flies only one flying yeah. in the world now, but yeah. um, second in the list would definitely be the 7.5 for me, the 7.57-200. Yeah. I'd love to fly one of those. Really? They are like the Ferrari of the sky. Oh, mm. dear. Anyway, that is where we have to bring episode number 102 to a close. Matty Fab, thank you very much for your time. You've been absolutely brilliant. Yes, yeah, thanks for joining us this morning, Matty. You are a legend. Thank you very much. And also no. for your feedback in the past as well yeah, that you've sent in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah no worries. Coming. Thank you for having me on. And, and Carlos, if, if, like I said before, if you need some help getting through... You know, <laughs> your pilot training and everything. Have, you, have example, you got a week? Yeah, you got a week off. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell I'll you what. You want one of these nice shiny? Oh, what's it got? Oh, look at oh, that! Oh, look at that! When that arrives in your post, oh. that's his. Uh, that's his flight. It was his flight crew license that he was just showing up to the camera there. No, but uh, we wish you all the best in your training, Matty, mm. and uh, yeah, definitely all the best for the future. And uh, make sure you keep us uh, posted on your all your yeah. uh, bits and pieces that you're doing. Let us know how you're getting on. And uh, listen, mate, yeah. when you get when you when you when your airfield is uh, back up and fully functional, get in that plane, get yourself over here to yeah. Bethel and, and come and sit <laughs> come in the studios. Us. Come, come and sit, sit in the studio next yeah. time, yeah? Yeah, yeah definitely. Well, I, I film him flying, so I've got a GoPro, so if I put the, the videos on my YouTube channel, so if yep. you want to watch me doing some circuits and flying yeah, around, then yeah. you can so watch for the, one there. For the benefit of those listening, also, not just those in the chat room, but for the yeah. benefit of those listening to the audio podcast, how can uh, how can those guys follow your uh, your videos and stuff? Where can they find those videos? So the YouTube channel, if you just search student pilot Matt, and that's Matt with one T, um, it should pop up there. If you just subscribe, there's, there's five or six videos on there at the minute, just circuits and local flights. That's all I've been able to do since passing my test with the weather. Yeah, I bet. On, on, on Facebook and, and, and Twitter, I'll post one there and i put new videos on. Yeah, definitely. 
So it's yes, that, that's great. So uh, it, it is, that is it. That's where we have to uh, wrap the show up. Uh, Episode one hundred and one hundred two. Because I've got to go to work. He's got to go to work, which is very him. very upsetting. And I've uh, got to, I've got to take apart the studio. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. He's got to do it on his own as well because I need to go to work. No. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so yes, it may not work next week, ladies and gentlemen. This might be the last one we can ever get out on the air. But <laughs> no. Well, but uh, no. Thank you to everyone who's joined us in absolutely. the chat room today. Yep. Loads of names in there. Yeah. Uh, run through the list. Whew, here we go. Yeah. Right. So. Um, I'm going to go all the way at the top here. Here we go. Let's have a look here. So we've had uh, we've had someone called Student Pilot Matt. Don't, don't know, know who he is. is. No, no, no. We've had Neville Bounds as well. Neville, thanks for joining us. Yep. Mila, uh, lovely yes. Mila, thanks yeah. for joining us. Uh, scrolling down here, the lovely Tony and Tony. Yet yeah, Neville Bounds, uh, Masha, uh, Masha's been in there as well, yeah. and Short has been in there as well. Yeah. Uh, Ray Davis, uh, Ray Davis has been in. Um, but I'm scrolling down here. Right, 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 my mouse is going slow. Um, Tim Hitchcock, I think. Tim, was in there. Yeah, Tim's in there. Yeah, we've had Tim in there. Oh, my mouse has just gone mad. Uh, so anyway, apologies if we missed your name, but thank you yeah. very much for all your input in the show. Yes. As always, to get in touch with the show, you can do it by the usual channels. It is uh, to send audio feedback or just to write an email to us if you wish uh, with any That'd feedback nice. that you may send have. Send us an email. Yeah, send us an email on please, please send us your audio feedback. We love including that. It is podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. To get in touch with us on Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk. Twitter handle, our Twitter handle is at plaintalkinguk. Talking UK. Uh, our YouTube channel is www.youtube.com forward slash plain talking UK and um, and the website of course it's www.plaintalkinguk.com and on there you'll find the links to all the bits and bobs you need to see yep. and also the links to our Patreon account as well if you feel that you've got an extra pound or a dollar yep. That, uh, the, 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 that you could uh, spare, you could spare. Yeah. that would yeah. be awesome if, uh, if just you want to help, join us just to help keep the uh, the running costs uh, under control but um, uh, a, th- a special thanks as well to all those who have uh, patreoned and, and yeah, donated to really us uh, in the yeah. past uh, gr- massively helps to cover all our fees for bringing the podcast so that's it then from episode number 102 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. Thanks again for everyone for joining us and thanks also t- to everyone who's downloaded the show uh, via iTunes and all the usual channels. Thanks for the you guys as well. We really do appreciate everyone listening to the show. It's nice. Me and Matt do like looking at our um, stats and oh, stuff. Yeah. On uh, on our server just to see where the uh, downloads are coming from, and there's some, there's all around the world. There are. It's yeah. amazing all around yeah, the world. People great. listening to us. No, so thanks it. to all you guys, and give yourselves a big pat on the back. Absolutely. So uh, as we sign off, then we'll we'll just pass over to Matt. Say goodbye, Matt. Say goodbye, Matt. Any last goodbye, words? Everybody. Thank you guys for having me on. <laughs> Absolute pleasure. And from us Take here care. in the studio, it is goodbye. goodbye.